You say it's Paul's birthday. It's his birthday too, yeah. It's Paul's 80th birthday. We're gonna do a podcast. We did not plan this. But happy birthday to Paul. Hey, everybody. Long time no see. It's your pals, Jonathan. And Julia. From Ranking the Beatles. Hope you're all doing fantastic. It's been a minute. How's everyone doing? How are you doing, Julia? Uh, I'm good. I'm uh, minus an appendix. Yeah. So that's been the most <laughs> since exciting the last time we did one of these. You've lost an um, appendix. Yes, that's true. Yeah, we just we got super busy. Yeah, and then um, we were kind of talking about coming back, and then uh, the my, world opened up. The, the world opened up. There's a lot going on. As did your intestines. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's not an intestine. It's an appendix. <laughs> it's a different part. Right. <laughs> Sorry. Fair enough. So, um, yeah, I've been doing a little surgery recovery. But that's very boring. We don't need to talk about it. We've been I'm fine. Everything's fine. We appreciate those of you who reached out and asked yes. uh, how she was doing. Yes. Thank you, everyone. I appreciate the messages. I'm good. Uh, everything went well. I'm st- I'm still a little bit sleepy here and there. I that, like, That's always been I mean, part of the course. Maybe a little extra <laughs> right now. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, maybe moving we, on. We, uh, we just we hit a busy patch, and we needed to take a little – uh, mid season, uh, between season break, and uh, get our lives in order. Figure out how to live in 2022 as the world reopens, and uh, everything just got super busy. So um, we've been in this weird patch of like getting ready to start thinking about the next season of shows, which we're I've started working on. Uh, we will start recording new episodes. I think end of next month. Don't make any promises. I make no promises, but <laughs> there are a couple on the books. So rest assured, we will be back soon. Um, and it's funny, I, you know, I found myself thinking, you know, God, it's Paul's 80th birthday. It's such a big deal. And, uh, you know, and one of the things that I've spent a lot of time on during this kind of self-imposed uh, hiatus was this Paula Palooza show uh, that the Walrus just did. And I was kind of thinking, you know, I wish we were doing something on the podcast to discuss Paul's 80th because, you know, there's so much to talk about, uh, so much appreciation for the man and his catalog and his work and the things it's brought to my life and to our lives. Um, and I was kind of bummed that we hadn't really figured out a way to be a part of the conversation or to contribute to the conversation. And um, there was an article that Stereo Gum put out uh, earlier in the week. It was like 80 artists picked their favorite Paul McCartney songs. And I was reading this article on Wednesday and somebody, I don't remember which one it was, but it made me think of our, our buddy Sean Nelson, who we've had on the show a couple times. Um, and just kind of the way he writes about music and talks about it. And I'll be damned if like an hour later I get a text message from Sean. And he's like, are you sure you don't want to have a probably <laughs> long conversation about the appreciation of Paul McCartney? And it was like, dude, I was just thinking about you. It's so cute. And thankfully, our schedules allowed us a little bit of time to uh, hop on a Zoom today and, uh, and talk a little Paul. So that's what we're going to do. Um, this is very uh, seat of our pants. We have done, I'm not going to say no prep for this, but like this is not a traditional ranking the Beatles episode. What we're each doing is picking um, our five favorite 
Paul Beatles songs and post Beatles songs. Uh, the caveat being that my personal five are not my five favorite because I don't want to give anything away from the rankings list. Ooh. So I'm not giving you like my top five in order Paul songs because right. that would then, you know, blow the secret that's, you know, years down the road on some right. of these songs. Right. So I'm doing more like my, the five, five unappreciated McCartney songs, five songs that I think Paul that sh- should have a little more light shown on them. Need a little bit more props. Yeah, but then I'm also doing my five favorite wing songs, but or, or Paul solo songs, but they're in no particular order because mm. I haven't had the time to rank that. Right, and that <laughs> I honestly like that's a that's that's an impossible task. Also, I'm pretty sure that this list is already already wrong. <laughs> it's already outdated and inaccurate and needs to be revised. I've already changed my mind 17 times yes. since I made my list. It's fine. That was it was really an impossible task. I was yeah. like, I really thought about just like calling an audible and being like, one of my top five post Beatles is actually just the Ram album. Deal with it. Yeah. All of Ram. <laughs> but um, but I didn't. I picked a song. You're welcome, you everyone. Did. You picked all individual songs. I'm proud I of you. I did. I did not skirt the rules for once in my life. Well done, you <laughs> rebel. <laughs> Way to fall in line. Um, but yeah, so this is going to be a lot of fun. Um, so without further ado, I don't know what this is going to be. It's not your, It's not a regular episode. It's just going to be fly the seat of our pants. So uh, let's do it. Friends, please welcome to Ranking the Beatles once again, Sean Nelson. Sean Nelson, welcome back, my friend. How are you? I'm doing very well, thank you. Uh, how are you guys? We're good. We're good. It's lovely to see you. I love in the background. I see you have a copy, a poster copy of the Mersey Beat issue. Is that yeah? Is that the George cover? It's the, jo- the John it's the Paul one. I have the John one too, but um, but you know, it's not John's 80th birthday. I had, <laughs> I think I had the, the, the John one is like he's in like a black and white striped shirt. I think I feel like I bought yeah. that poster in college and at some point lost it, and now I kind of am like I missed that poster. Oh, sad. I was out. I was at a used furniture store, and for some reason, they had both of those posters, and that was the only thing I got. <laughs> Don't have a couch, but have a poster. <laughs> I couldn't resist. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, it's very good. Well, it's good to see you, man. How are you? Uh, how are you doing? How are you celebrating Paul's birthday today? How are things? How's life? Um, I am. Uh, I'm thinking things are going really well, and I'm celebrating Paul's birthday the same way I always celebrate it by just celebrating him and talking to you guys. Um, I'm really, I I just like everybody's writing stuff and everybody's doing their little tributes. And I think that's wonderful, but I just like, as we've discussed in the past, when you have spent your whole life being pro Paul, being like a, being a Paul partisan, um, it's, you know, it's satisfying that people, the world, the rest of the world has come around, but I just remember what it was like to be standing up for Paul McCartney in like 1987, mm. not, not a popular stance. Right. It used, to, it used to cost you something and I'm happy that it doesn't anymore, but, uh, this is a good way to celebrate. What do you think spurred on that sea change for him? Do you think it's the work or is it? kind of the way he's positioned in the press or just how the story has presented itself through history at this point? I think it's, I think it's two things, the passage of time just generally, and the sort of the, the way the Beatles have been so durable in the culture, they've sort of found a lane in each decade, a sort of, you know, a sort of a parallel or a, um, a kind of, 
you know, an ideal or whatever that that kind of has some relationship to the current whatever, you know, rock bands of the day. Obviously, the 70s, it wasn't hard because they were all out there individually, but they were the memory of the Beatles was so fresh. But in the 80s, there was, you know, like the the kind of the 60s revival was going on all around. And so you can't have a 60s revival without Beatles. And then also the advent of CDs made the Beatles available to a whole, you know, new group of people. So that was, so there's that. And then the 90s, there was Britpop. And so obviously the Beatles were going to be the centerpiece of that in some way. And then on and on and on. But, um, but I think the main thing actually was that he jettisoned the kind of flabby, soggy band that he was touring with and hired a kick-ass band and started playing half Beatles songs in his sets. Mm -hmm. And the revitalization of that made the tours all the more thrilling. And I'm sure like, it's all in a weird way, very academic because his, it's not like his tours weren't selling out. It's not like he was hurting for fans. Are you referring to, sense, are you referring to like his current band or the- I'm referring to his 90s. current band. Okay, okay. So it's the, I saw, I, I hadn't, I mean, I knew that the new band, it, who of course aren't new because they've been together for 20, 20 years, years now, and they've yeah. longer than the Beatles by far, longer than the Beatles and Wings combined probably. <laughs> but like a band that is like made up of, you know, like killer players who aren't in any way bashful about playing exactly what's on the record and doing what they're told, <laughs> but also bringing them bringing themselves to it as well. You know, like the they're those guys are all incredibly good mm -hmm. and and really also psyched to be there i mean obviously they're smiling because they're required to smile but <laughs> like but also they are you know they're they're really there they're really playing whatever you know name beatles song they're really playing side two of abbey road you know they're really like they're going through it and you can tell that it matters to them as much as it kind of differently, but as much as it matters to Paul. Um, and so I think that was suddenly it was like, oh, you got to go see Paul McCartney because it's not like he's doing, you know, side two of Pipes of Peace. <laughs> you know, it's like he's doing side two of Abbey Road. And and the band is really vital. I hadn't really put it fully together. I knew that was basically what it was, but I recently saw MTV, someone uploaded the um, MTV Unplugged mm -hmm. uh, show that he did to YouTube. And I remember I bought that on CD when it came out. It was like, I was dyed in the wool in the tank with Paul from birth. But um, but I listened, I, I watched it and, and it, it just, it sucked. It's appallingly bad. <laughs> it just sucks. And it's not, the songs don't suck. The The playing doesn't suck per se. It's just like, the it's just the presentation, like, the sonic it's presentation. Baggy. It's, yeah. it's soggy. It's just it doesn't have any vitality at all. Yeah. Um, it's just like, you know, it's like a dad and a Volvo. Yes. I had sneaking a hit of a joint, you know, like it's, <laughs> it, there's no there's no sort of. Yeah, there's no there's no pulse. Yeah. And um, I wonder if I'm watching you, dad. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I kind of had the same conversation with someone last night talking about, um, you know, because as we were learning songs for this show, when we were trying to figure out, well, how does he end, you know, got to get you into my life live? We were looking at live versions. And when you A, B, 
one of the more recent live records versus like a Paul is Live or Tripping the Live Fantastic versus right. the current band, there's there's so much more energy to things. And, you know, it doesn't sound nearly as polished. And I think this is, you know, one of the things I've thought about before is I think there's a through line with Paul where he's leading the charge in the music world. And then there's a mm -hmm. point where he's like not leading the charge, but he's still in the front line where he kind of stayed. Um, yeah. And I think there's a moment where he just, he, I think when he hired the, the current band, he stopped trying to sound current. Like it's not right. like in the nineties, in the eighties and nineties era, he's kind of using very brand new of the moment, uh, you know, clean Yamaha, you know, solid state digital tone and everything sounds right. very of that time. And then they yeah. were like, you know what? Just a, a Gibson through a Marshall is all we need. Like just go with the classic sound. And then it's Absolutely. like, that's the thing that you want and not struggling to keep up with that. I, with that pressure of, being the you know one leading the charge i think kind of freed him to be the best version of himself where he's in, i like, completely he's completely agree um the that famous story of um you know elvis costello when they're writing together um before you know before spike and flowers in the dirt uh and you know i guess they'd written together by then and paul had recorded some of the stuff and elvis was like what why like why is that? Why is there a five-string bass yeah. on this? Like, yeah. why don't you pick up your fucking Hofner? Just pick it up, you know. Like that's what, <laughs> and not just because, not just because I love the Beatles, but because there is something in the in what you, you know, there's something in what you leave out that is just as important as being able to, you know, hit notes that shouldn't exist. Yeah. Bit, you know, <laughs> like having act just because you can doesn't mean you should, as my friend Aaron used to say, and. Um, and also, like, there, there is just something to his sort of his history that is uh, it's unavoidable. No matter what, anytime he has ever made a record, it is a record by the guy who also made all those Beatles records. Mm -hmm. And so, of course, the the later things aren't going to fare as well. But you, but you're right. Like listening to his '80s stuff, which I. I know it all by heart, but I, I was too, I was too young to kind of have any sense of critical appreciation or uh, discernment, I guess, um, to, you know, to kind of get what was not good about it. I only heard the stuff I liked about it. Mm. Um, but it is like, it's like flipping through an eighties copy of musician and seeing all the sort of <laughs> ads for these new, like what? Yeah. You know the, the the world of synthesizer the the progress of the synthesizer through the eighties, um, God and all yeah all of the all of the technological things that I mean all those guys fell into that trap and they trying to keep up mm -hmm. um, and technology was just I don't know like technology used to mean a wire in a hole but then when it once it went into digital space it was all these impossible combinations yeah and you, did, could you can definitely succeed with that because we were talking this morning about mccartney too mm -hmm. and you were saying yeah. how like the record sounds dated because it's definitely like guy discovers new synth in 1979 and makes a record right. learning how to use it but there's a charm to it in the way it's done mm -hmm. that even though it sounds dated there's still a thing about it that works whereas it's not like guy with synth has multi-million dollar 
you know, production suite and makes cleanest sounding record of the year, you know? Um, right. And so well, it's dated. I mean, it's also dated to a time when we can all agree lot like some of the coolest music ever was being made like being dated to 1979 1980 is a really different thing from being dated to 1986 mm -hmm. yeah and that's sort of you know like basically he had mccartney to i would say i would include back to the egg but i know a lot of people wouldn't but like back to the egg mccartney to and tug of war very different albums but that's a that's a, a very impressive trilogy yeah. there and then really from from that point on, where it's, you know, like, Pipes of Peace, uh, Give My Regards to Broad Street, which I saw in the theater twice, um, <laughs> and and then, uh, you know, uh, Press, Press to play, play, the most vilified, and even Flowers in the Dirt, but in a different way. But, like, th I guess those three, Give My Regards to Broad, Pipes of Peace, Give My Regards to Broad Street, and, and uh, Press to Play are all, like, they are totally anathema. Even the people who are the most devout McCartney psychos don't really defend those records too much maybe some of the songs and i you know i could i will go to the mat for some of those songs sure you could probably make um, one really great album between the i think so albums. but the way they sound is it ha it sort of has less and less to do with the human voice mm -hmm. or the human hands on an instrument and i'm not especially like I have no aversion to people to robots making music. I'm I'm all for it. But but Paul McCartney was always so much about like we really knew how to play, you know, mm -hmm. like people playing together, bands, rock and roll, the kind of classic tropes. They're really essential to his whole conception of of making music, I think. And so him being lost in those things, it actually weirdly reveals <clears throat> in some ways more of his imagination than you know venus and mars did or or whatever because he is suddenly you can do anything mm -hmm. except then that's what you do it's really it's very <laughs> odd very odd choices yeah mm. uh there's then, yeah he got more and more classical with each passing thing yeah or classic i should say yeah and i and, and there's definitely a line where i think you know I, there there's a lot of good stuff in that 80s 90s era like i think you could make a couple of really good albums from all that output but then you know you get to this point in i'm gonna say chaos and creation in the backyard on where it's like yeah the idea of you know looking to the future just doesn't maybe weigh as much and he's just like i want to make the best art i can and i think he's right. been on a tear ever <clears throat> since then of just you know the only times I think he has stumbled since then is when he tries to do something kind of current, like moments on Egypt station where he's like, I'm going to co-write with uh, Ryan Tedder and have Mark Ronson produce yeah. this, but then I'm going to do these tracks where like, they're very basic and Giles Martin produces them. And those are the best tracks. And the ones where he's like trying to be kind of radio friendly and current. I'm like, for you doesn't yeah. do anything for me yet. He keeps playing yeah. that live. Uh, <laughs> but there's other stuff that I'm like, this is top notch shit. Why is this not where you're focused? Um, yeah, but he can do what I he mean, wants it, at this point. Exactly, but he but what he wants, <clears throat> what he wants is always. I think just it will always be informed by that Beatles thing of like, well, if it's not number one, why are you doing it? Yeah. You know, like the 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 point of singing a song is for the maximum number of people to hear it and love it, and that 
I mean, that idea has changed a lot, I think, in our lifetimes, certainly. I mean, it's changed and maybe even changed back. There's always been people who only want that kind of fame and acclaim. But but I think for a while there was a sense of like, well, it, you know, I'm not it doesn't invalidate what I do because only a thousand people like it or only a hundred people like it or no one likes it. Even. <laughs> but, but, you know, I think to him, and of course, none of us can know what it is to be Paul McCartney. It's unknowable and everybody speculates about it and everybody has opinions and views, but it can't be known. Right. Um, <laughs> and so like, you can well imagine that when he puts out a record, it's really, um, it's really important to all the people who surround him who probably are responsible for like, and then we're going to have 19 different editions yeah, of it. And, that's... you know, it's probably important to him that they come up with those things so that it is at least in keeping with what popular music is supposed to be now. Mm -hmm. And I think that that is um, often a little bit unfortunate, but, um, but then again, who cares? Cause yeah. when he puts out a new record, it's it somehow is exciting still or it's somehow like you are curious you you will hear it you will find a way to listen to it they know how to make it an event every time mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. you, there's no reason that mccartney 3 should have one maybe even should exist because it probably <laughs> would not have without covid yeah. um yeah but to be this massively celebrated number one with a companion album of other people covering songs that no one right. really even knew. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like they yeah. still know how to make it. Everything is a thing. Like even Egypt station, they made it a thing. Like they just know yeah, how they... to market that, which is good because it, like you said, it creates this curiosity and keeps him in kind of at the front of the cultural zeitgeist of, you know, this legend who is still vital and, uh, and present and important at 80 years old and not many other artists I think have that ability and how does one of the f most famous musicians in the world still find a way to create more of a fan base like by having those people do it by having others do a whole album covering his songs mm -hmm. in their own way right. like opened him up to Believe it or not, there's probably still people in the world that have not heard Paul McCartney songs. Oh, for um, sure, for sure. <laughs> that like yeah. put him in front of new people. I mean, well, like they might not know it. Like with yeah. the the song that he did with Kanye West and Rihanna, like yeah. there was like a That's whole Twitter moment song. of like, who's this old guy with Kanye and Rihanna? <laughs> it's like, oh boy, oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> That's his number one most played song on Apple yeah. Music. And it's four or five seconds. That's crazy. And yeah. like how many people like dove into his catalog because of that and discovered like absolute jams like Arrow Through Me or, you yeah. know, like some of his yeah. like there's a little bit of soulfulness there. Like he can he can jam out a little bit. Yeah. And how many people Absolutely. were like, oh, my gosh, this song, this old guy wrote this really cool song. <laughs> like what? You forget so, that yeah. he was a young man at some time. I know, you know, I know. He hasn't always been 80. Right. <laughs> well, let's, there's a a lot of material to, to discuss today. So what, as I was kind of saying at the outset of the episode, uh, we've each come up with our top five Beatles and solo so Paul songs. Um, my top five are not necessarily my top five and favorite because I don't want to give away what's coming up on the podcast. So I'm doing kind of top five unappreciated or maybe lesser known things uh, that are still favorite. None of this is in any ranked order for any of us. 
We've picked right. just the songs that we think are the five worthiest of discussion. And like we said, it's probably already outdated and wrong, and we would reassess it if we redid this list right now. <laughs> um, so I think what we should do, just because otherwise I think this will become an eight-hour episode, mm. is <laughs> we'll start with you, Sean. If you want to start with Beatles, give us your five, and then we'll kind of just touch on whatever we see uh, with those. And I'm going to write them down as you uh, as you do okay. as you say them, so I remember what we what we have. All right. Well, I mean, I'm just yeah. I I would I would second your disclaimer that there's no there's no order, and really, as everyone knows, the best Beatles song is always the Beatles song that is playing at that moment. <laughs> yes. But, um, <laughs> And so, but looking back over, you know, really, really a lifetime of being not just a Beatles freak from birth, but like a Paul leaning Beatles person, because as I always wind up saying, no matter how many times I've said it, and no matter if anyone laughs, like you don't pick your Beatle, your Beatle absolutely chooses you. And for me, it has always been Paul and it could only, I mean, the other guys, they're great. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> but, but you know, for me, it's Paul. And so these are the ones that, for me, that I feel like are the absolute Paul, Paul, sort of Paul-leaning pantheon for Beatles. Um, okay. Penny Lane, a perfect song. Uh, you Won't See Me, which uh, you may recall I we discussed talk. right we here talk. on this very mm-hmm. forum. Um, uh, you Never Give Me Your Money. Uh, for No One. Um, and uh, and Helter Skelter to round it out. Lovely, lovely. And, and anyone who can do both for no one and Helter Skelter is empirically. <laughs> I mean, as the, you said, yeah, as you said earlier, a wizard. Like how how are <laughs> those wizard. the a same? True star. Yeah, how are those the same person? Yeah, just cranking well, them out. Especially, I mean, even if you're just looking at that one side of the White Album, to have you know Mother Nature's Son and the Helter Skelter, and I mean, my God. Yeah. What is it, do you think about, you know, looking at these five songs, and they're very different sides of Paul. Um, what what do you think attracts you to these? Like, you know, Penny Lane is a very different song, a very different place, uh, you know, from You Won't See Me or from Helter Skelter. And those are very different sides of a coin. You know, what brings you to these particular songs, you think? Um, I feel like Penny Lane is I know that everyone sort of feels that Strawberry Fields Forever is sort of the high watermark of a certain moment like it it is the kind of linchpin of their changing from being you know who they were into their like more interesting phase Mm -hmm. Um, but to me I, lo- I mean, I love, obviously, I love, like, it's just a proviso that when you're defending Paul, you're not undermining anyone else. And I just feel like that's worth, that's always worth mentioning. But, like, of course I love Strawberry Fields. Don't be ridiculous. Who could not love Strawberry Fields? But but Penny Lane is, it, it has a sort of, um, it has a, like, it, it is, I'm not hung up on perfection in my life, but to me it is a perfect song. It is a perfect example of the things I am most delighted by in sort of, I guess, really in Paul's range specifically. I mean, vocally, melodically, it is, I mean, it's a masterclass in sort of melodic construction. Um, the words are good. The words are better than better than 
average for him. And I think they're quite good. Um, but the whole feel of it just has this kind of, it has this wonder, the sense of wonder about it, that it is obviously is the subject of the song in a certain way. That is the wonder that you feel when you go outside in, you know, like really almost anywhere, I guess. But like when you're, I don't know, like it, it has the feeling of a perfect day or something, you know, it has mm -hmm. a, a that sort of that sense when the, the breeze hits you just right and the, you know, everything just kind of works and you feel attached to being alive in a way that for some of us is pretty elusive. <clears throat> and and the most ordinary things become, they just sort of, they have a little crackle about them. They have a certain, like they stand out more than they ever would. And so um, the, the ability to, to um, chronicle the most mundane block of shops and, you know, ordinary traffic um, into this like really cavalcade uh, that, that makes you feel glad to be alive when that song is playing and reminds you of how it felt to be glad to be alive is um, it's just, it's, it truly is awe inspiring to me that a human being could just do that. You know, mm. obviously it was several human beings, but um, yeah, I just love it. I've always loved it from the first time I ever heard it and I have never looked back. It's funny because I, I remember the feeling when we visited Liverpool and actually went to Penny Lane to that roundabout area. And yeah. the like you said, that feeling was so tangible to me, even though it was like a cold Sunday and nothing was actually open. Right. That bounce was just in your body. You know, you just felt that feeling. And it's hard to find that in anything else, you know, artistically. It especially. has the it has the thing that, you know, like when the 60s are such a kind of mysterious time and we've, you know, obviously ingested so much secondary source material about what it was like to live then and how things just changed and there was this feeling that everyone was galvanized in this way but like you look at it and if you take the you know the, the world didn't really change the people in it changed and that like and so the the idea that of course it would be it would have to be a beetle to do it but like it is almost like a i mean it's it's a classic sort of it's a mirror of what's going on and it's also a light to sort of guide people into what's going on. But the, that sense of transforming this gray, exactly as you said, I mean, like England is notoriously a dingy looking place. The, the urban centers, especially, I love it there. I would happily live there, but, um, but you know, like, it's gray. It's fundamentally gray, but to sort of, but to, uh, you know, to like, to look into that gray and only see possibilities for like marvelous colors and all of that stuff is, uh, like the minute anyone starts acting as though Paul is just like a, a, a talented craftsman or something like this is, this is a, you know, this is a, a galvanizing piece of art that actually helped the world become itself, you know, at that moment, the only moment when a rock and roll singer had that kind of influence, yeah. that's part of what it, and you know, John's impulse was totally different to take this, you know, enchanted glade of a place and, and make it sort of smaller and, and more mysterious for sure. And, and, you know, no less beautiful, but 
to like his transformation was to take a public thing and make it his own little private sanctuary, which is of course John Lennon <laughs> top to toe. But um, <laughs> but you know Paul's thing is like here's a snapshot of the most mundane thing in the world, and isn't it glorious? Yeah, that's yeah. you know that's a pretty good I think dichotomy like or illustration of the dichotomy between those two guys. Uh, you never give me your money. Wait, That's hold on. A- I gotta interject. Like, that was such a beautiful description. I'm like tearing up over here of, over your description of the whole song. I'm, I'm dumbfounded. Like, I I was thinking Thanks. of like a very simple version of what you said of just like finding the beauty and the mundane of life. And you just expounded on it. It was like perfect. I, I would love for Paul to be able to hear that. Like, I'll send it to his people. <laughs> I feel like he would really be touched by that. I mean, I was like, just be touched by the description of how well you saw and heard and took in his creation. It was amazing. Thank you. Well, thank you. I mean, I'm very, I'm, I mean, I've, it's not like I have not put in the hours thinking about that song, but I hadn't, I mean that, yeah, I, uh, I feel like if Paul did hear that, he'd be like, yeah, you know, it's a good song. Like he would never, he would never rise to the bait of the thing where you analyze his work, um, which I both really appreciate about him. And also I'm frustrated by with him. He would totally smile to himself later on. (laughs) That's good. That is good enough for me. I feel like he would be very humble about it and then go home and sit down in a very fashionable chair and have a good smile. (laughs) You know, don't you like, don't you get the sense that he has spent a long, many decades, just like roiling with resentment that, he is not rated as a as an artist in the way that say John is or the way that a lot of you know sort of rock and roll people kind of got daubed with the brush of like oh they're the magic you know the magic artist meanwhile Paul is just a talented craftsman with no real inspiration but just you know and it's it's ridiculous this mm-hmm. idea and if i mean if get back was good for nothing else was hard evidence that the man is a fucking genius not talent not like he is a great artist the end mm-hmm. yeah great artists can make stuff that isn't always great but like it takes a great artist to do what he did for sure just, that's all there is sure. mm-hmm. and any craft done well is art anyway so anyway penny lane good yeah. fucking song penny yeah. lane uh, you never give me your give me your money. That's a curious choice. I feel like that doesn't end up in a lot of favorites lists for no other reason than there's, it's in the middle of this massive piece of music, and yeah. it's surrounded by giants. What draws you to that one? Um, maybe it's sort of the reverse of the Penny Lane thing. I mean, it is it is taking the. I mean. I like the ones where it seems like they're singing to each other, mm. you know, and you never give me your money. It's just so flagrantly him talking to John or at least him to, like an idea of him talking to an idea of John where, you know, the the estrangement between them that is really kind of like it's in there but it doesn't tell the whole story because if it told the whole story he wouldn't be able to sing this incredibly tender beautiful but also pointed and also like it's it's the thing where you love someone and you are at some kind of you know some kind of impasse and you you want 
to stand up for yourself, but you also want to communicate how important they are to you. And I like how important, like you want to defend them even as you're defending yourself. And in a way it becomes impossible, which I think is partly what went on with, with them at that time. But like Paul's, Paul's like very vulnerable in that song in a way that he never is. He's not like, vulnerability is not one of his main yeah. <laughs> one of the main traits in in songs i mean mm-hmm. and uh and there and even though like he i also think that the words are uh, again uncommonly like pretty pretty killer in that song even just the fact like you never give me your money money in that instance doesn't just mean you know money it like it it stands in for all of the sort of business forces that are you know working to complicate their world that they have no business like any anyone in their position should be should have better representation should they shouldn't be making those decisions for them or you know maybe the decisions but they shouldn't be having to deal with all of it themselves mm-hmm. um uh and just i don't know the the money funny papers like uh, all of the all of the the words at the end of the lines really stand out for me and then and then it not even midway through it goes from this great piano thing to the perfect rollicking that dun, 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 and and he's using his fats domino voice and it just feels so good for the like for them to for him to be describing a conflict and then for them to all come together to kind of finish articulating that thought is really i mean that is part of what makes abbey road this miracle really you know that they were able to make something that good in that moment is really very impressive mm-hmm. uh, and that one and then it ends with this sort of you know this kind of nonsensical one two three four five six seven all good children go to heaven which i just find myself wishing would go on for 10 years yeah that part yeah. so good um so yeah that's all it's just sort of more of that i really like it when you hear the Paul's not just like at a remove from humanity where he's really engaged in what he's singing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's, I think that's where his best vocal performances come from. That's a really, that's a really succinct point you've made there. I feel like that's a song I haven't given a ton of thought to. And, uh, well, we haven't gotten to it yet. We haven't gotten to it on the this, on this podcast, but <laughs> now you can see where it's at. And <laughs> think about you that. can't change the rankings. They're set in stone. Yeah. <laughs> but we can talk about how wrong you are when we get there. Oh, for sure. <laughs> Um, for no one, I know you have some special, I, you've commented multiple times about how this song affects you. I find that really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, I am a sucker for a, a truly sad song, mm-hmm. you know, or where there is, I mean, I'm no stranger to depression. I'm no stranger to like really surrendering to these overwhelming feelings of grief. Um, even when you don't really when you can't necessarily point to where they come from when you can however point to where they come from it is all the more powerful and this is like it the song is so succinct so just perfectly crafted in every way it doesn't does it even have it doesn't even have a bridge does it Mm-mm. um it just has that amazing french horn solo which by the way i don't know if you've heard the demo i don't know if i said this last time but the demo for that song is uh, once again all the evidence you'd ever need that Paul is a wizard because he um, he's he's 
just sort of going through the song to show it to George Martin. And he's playing, and it's like, your day breaks, your mind breaks, and you get, you know, um, a love that should have lasted years, and then, or whatever. Uh, sorry, no, it's the, it comes after the, the verse, the second verse. So, um, uh, he's just playing and he's like, and then, you know, I think maybe there should be like a, I don't know, like a French horn solo, maybe something like, and he just like sneezes out note for note, exactly <laughs> the part that winds up getting played. And it's of course the only part that could ever be there and mm -hmm. it's perfect and it's beautiful and it kills you because it's so sad, but it's a different kind of, it's like an, a distant aching sadness because the French horn isn't such a visceral instrument. But it's, you know, it's, there's a, a plaintiveness to it that you don't often, you wouldn't associate with that instrument in that same way. But the song, of course, is one of the great She Left Me songs, mm -hmm. you know, like the one of the great Love is Dead songs that is, you know, that, that is, that's a totally legit strain of pop music, that, that sort of ache that happens that is somehow well expressed by the same instruments and the same structures and everything that that she loves you is or you know or or any any of a million great rock and roll love songs the dead love songs are somehow all the more powerful to me because i don't know because they're expressed by people who are always so confident and so kind of like cool and together mm -hmm. in in their other stuff um so yeah i i, I just I think maybe some of the power derives from the fact that it's Paul and it's very hard to imagine a situation where he looks into the eyes of his, you know, lover and there's nothing there. There's no admiration. There's no, you know, no sign of love behind the tears. Um, because he's, there are very few ways in which you can really plausibly argue that Paul is an underdog. <laughs> Paul right. McCartney, yeah. underdog. Not, you know, it doesn't really, but but in a weird way, he also is, and also he is a human being, and it doesn't even have to be him, but like the that song is just so exquisitely sad. I just, mm -hmm. I mean, quite literally yesterday, I was driving, and I'd been stuck in traffic for a while anyway, and I was listening to Revolver, and I had, I just put it on for whatever, but partly because I knew we were doing this, and I kind of just wanted to listen to some to a Beatles record all the way through and I somehow just wasn't thinking about for no one and it came on and I was just I it was like I had been just punched in the throat and I just started I literally started sobbing so much that I had to pull over oh because goodness. it was unsafe and I got it together pretty soon after it just came out of nowhere yeah um yeah. not I mean I'm sure I, I I do know why but um <laughs> but it was but it was unexpected nonetheless. Mm -hmm. uh, and I've heard that song, you know, as many times as I've heard my own name spoken probably. And I still am absolutely floored by it in mm -hmm. this mo the most visceral way. I have no, no power against it yeah. and I don't want any. <laughs> yeah. I think like I'm often described as a, a little bit dead inside and even, <laughs> even, I, when this song comes on, have to physically put my hand over my heart and just go, oh, just like yeah. a concave chest, a hand over my heart, just, oh, God, this song is so brutal. 
Yeah. Oh boy, it's just absolutely savage. <laughs> like it's just so intense. So yeah, I'm with you. This she is. She doesn't need him. Yeah, this is also on my list of my top five Beatles. Yeah. It's it's as you said, visceral. Just oh, I can't not in feel that, it. In that stereo gum article we were talking about, where all the people are rating all the you know rockers are rating their favorite McCartney songs. I thought it was significant that this was Elvis Costello's pick also. Yeah. Oh, interesting. I didn't read that article. I haven't had it's, a chance to pick it up. Is a, it really it's good? It's a lot. Okay. It's a lot. Yeah. I mean, it's 80 songs. Okay. 80 different Is people. it just like a little snippet yeah. from each person? Yeah, it just okay. takes time. Yeah. To Everybody has 100 words or whatever. Mm. Okay. It's good. I mean, it's pretty good. <laughs> um, I could think of it, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, of course, Helter Skelter. Um I know I've seen video of you performing that before. Uh, it's one of the things I love, one of the songs I love the most to perform uh, with my band. What brings you to that one? Yeah. Obviously, aside from just loving the to get to scream your ass off for three minutes. Well, on yeah, it. I mean, I it's just I mean, it's in a way it's kind of kind of an obvious choice. But like the ones where Paul is at the top of his range, at the top of his dynamic range, at the top of this, you know, melodic range, whatever, like, he, he, he sort of, this is so stupid, but he becomes rock and roll in a way, like, rock and roll is so dependent on a particular level, like a volume break, beyond which something magical, some alchemy happens, Mm -hmm. and a bunch of guys with you know, guitars and drums and whatever can become this really, uh, you know, this really powerful artistic vessel or just some very visceral thing that makes you want to move. But like there is some way that he enters this transformative state when he is really screaming. And I just feel like, I mean, I have always felt, I think that he is the greatest singer he's the greatest like rock and roll singer to me that uh, that has ever lived certainly the greatest white rock and roll singer Mm -hmm. and i think that that is a meaningful distinction in this in this world but like i also think that he probably is my favorite 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 singer of all so um maybe it's not necessarily that uh that important but um he he clearly wrote that song obviously he wrote it as a sort of statement to the world of rock and roll getting heavier you know like who was really getting heavier and all these other you know the next wave of bands were really starting to make themselves known and acid rock existed then and all this stuff and there really was i think i think he wrote it specifically as a as a sort of as a response to Jimi hendrix but also as in 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 uh i don't think he was specifically challenged by pete townsend but like in some way, it was like, hey, Pete Townsend, check this shit out. And I, I think it was I, like Pete had said, like, he'd read an interview with Pete where he was like, we've just recorded the loudest, dirtiest rock and roll song of all time. And Paul was like, well, we obviously can't let this stand. <laughs> <laughs> what song What song was Pete talking about? You and know? oddly enough, I think it was I Can See for Miles and Miles, which is not yeah. that heavy of a Who song. Neither heavy nor dirty. Yeah. <laughs> I always think it's weird. Uh, just side note. I always think it's weird when Pete talks about how, it, like, the fact that I can see for miles didn't blow everybody's mind and, like, chart at number one instantly mm-hmm. make him feel like it was all over for him. And, like, I simply can't do any better than that. 
and so I'm going to become an albums artist or whatever. Right. I like I like I can see for miles, but it is not the best song. It's not the best Who song. Yeah. It's not the best Who single. It's not the best Who single of that year. You know, like it's good, but it's I I, I always found that to be sort of perplexing. Yeah, I'm with you on that. that that's a strange one. I think. You know, going back to what you're saying about, you know, Paul with the idea of like becoming rock and roll, I think there's a thing that he can do as a singer where he hits a point in that range where it doesn't it doesn't matter what he's singing or what the track does. It just takes over and becomes this thing that moves you. And yeah, I think that goes back to, you know, one of the ones on my list is um, Long Tall Sally. When he inhabits that that thing, he can sing the phone book. And that's how you get yeah. Monkberry Moon Delight. Don't know what the fuck he's doing, but it's yeah. amazing. Like, it's just something that you just want to, like, thrash to. And it's incredible. Like, not many people can do that. Even John, at his most rocking, I don't think elicits that same response from a listener. I I, I agree. I think, I mean, John had a great scream, but Paul had a scream that also encompassed the ability to be tuneful within the scream. Like within this visceral thing where you're like, God, is he okay? He's also hitting every note perfectly yeah. and is ambitious enough to have made notes to be singing while screaming. So yeah. like, but it's actually, it's relatively sophisticated for how blunt it is. And also I can't help it because I, I'm not a person who is, I'm not especially competitive in my life. I, I sort of, I, I abhor competition in lots of ways, <laughs> but um, but I like that thing in Paul that's that's competitive in the sense that like he read that interview and he was like, huh, well I'll show them. And not only was it like I want to write the song that is the, the the sort of beats Pete's description of his own song, but I also want to like show everybody that a human voice can do this, like that you can that you can actually sing like that. And I fucking dare you. I wish someone would try and sing something better. Or, or, I wish or, or, a motherfucker you know, would. I wish a motherfucker would. He wishes a motherfucker would. Right. And motherfuckers have. But in a way, I just like, I don't know. It's what, you know, obviously Robert Plant, very impressive instrument in lots of ways. It does nothing for me the way that Paul's does. Mm-hmm. Paul's, that, that sort of super high screamy register. It doesn't, it, it just doesn't, it doesn't impress or it doesn't affect me in the same way. And yeah. who knows why? Uh, Maybe it's because yeah. I don't understand anything about rock and roll. Certainly, <laughs> certainly a possibility. <laughs> I'm with you. Flat there, twist. Right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, Julia, your top five Paul Beatles songs. Give it to okay. us. Okay. My top five. Give us the um, juice. I've just seen a face. Yeah. Um, it's I have a personal I uh, love for the song just from like our little relationship and the little mix CDs you used to make me mm-hmm. when we started dating. Aww. So, um, but it's also just a jam. Like it's so exciting and the excitement of, just, of new love. Yeah, yeah, like it. It just sort of. Yeah, you can like feel it like electricity in your body when mm-hmm. the song starts like i just i don't know me i shouldn't say you i should say me i can feel like electricity in my body when the song starts like it just gets me amped up and makes me want to shake a little bit yeah <laughs> um yeah it's, it's, just, it, it, it's it, just... that, that song apparently only has a big following in america 
where it was a massive hit because it was, you know, I don't know why exactly. Well, because it was the, the, the lead off track on the on the U.S. Rubber Soul. On rubber Soul. That's right. Yeah. Um, but the and it wasn't it was on help was on, in yeah. the U.K. Right. Yeah. It was, it was um, side, B, side two, you know, middle of the side track on the U.K. But somehow it just it corresponds to something that the like that we we Yanks are like attuned to that somehow British people aren't. And I don't know what it is, but I'm I'm with I've always loved it. And it always sort of has that sense of like, oh, wow, I can't believe I can't believe somebody had to write that. I can't believe it hasn't always existed. You know, <laughs> there's something, again, really perfect about it. The the that sort of florid instrumental bit in the intro which is just lovely anyway. And then it just shifts gears completely into this, like it's, it's got that thing where your heart is beating so fast that you can't even keep up. Your mouth can't keep up with your brain. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's almost kind of like, you know, being, you know, picked up by like two little birds that keep lifting you up into the clouds as the chords keep ascending. And then it <laughs> drops you into this new, I've just seen a face thing where it's like, you're into like, you get lifted into this new world of a new place yeah. in yourself, like in your heart and your brain. And you kind of explore this new glorious world with this new person. Yeah. And it's really like the musical embodiment of, of, of human feeling. Like it, the excitement of the song, like the excitement in your brain and body at meeting a new person is perfectly transported into the the pace of a song like mm -hmm. it just matches the energy together i don't know how to describe it it's just like yeah you like took you took a human emotion and made a song <laughs> out of it what yeah. <laughs> <laughs> turns out he's really good at that good what <laughs> what else you got yep. um my second one is, we've already gone over for no one just mm -hmm. ugh, 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 yeah. okay. um my third make one me start crying again. i know i'm sorry please don't because <laughs> then i'll start I mean, I'll crying cry. I'll, i cry all the time it's you um, would cry too if it happened to you <laughs> so this next one might also make you cry i don't know i feel like this is also a, a, a sad song she's leaving home mm. yeah. yes yeah yeah and again I picked all my songs because I don't know that they're like technically the best songs. I'm not a musician. I mean, they're all they're Paul songs. They're doesn't good, matter right? if it is or not. Like it's yeah, but they, these are all songs that stir something in me. Yeah. Like they make me feel something, and that's why I pick them. Um, She's leaving home is I mean it's a it's a beautiful song, but it takes me right back to the beginning of COVID, and I know I've said this a few times, but when you guys played that song with the string quartet like mm. on someone's porch and it was the first time I had seen live music in months and seen people in months and like it was just I started crying sitting in a camp chair on the street in uptown New Orleans because it was just such a moment of uh I don't know relief more joy than I'd felt in a long time and so it just Every time I hear that song, it takes me right back to that emotion of, you know, all the emotions, really, joy, but also frustration and confusion and anger and all the things all at once mm -hmm. in this beautiful sort of like soaring, sad song. Yeah. 
Um, so yeah, it's a, it's a very personal one. <laughs> I don't know that anyone would agree that this is top five. No, I mean, it, I've always liked it. Yeah. I think that's one of the great things about these songs is anything can be top five for you because yeah. it's how you attach yourself to it. Like I find this a really interesting song cause I don't have like a tremendous personal connection to it, but I vividly remember like driving through the smoky mountains with my parents at like 12, listening to a cassette of Sgt. Pepper. And like, this is the song that I see mountains, you know, driving through the mountains is this song, which that it's a very odd connection. Um, yeah. But it's, you know, it's one of those beautiful songs that he just kind of writes these little snapshots of stories of people. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is partly inspired by like a news article about a girl who had run away from home, um, who it turns out, nerdy trivia, had been like a contest winner on like a, one of those like, youth you know tv shows about you know picking the songs of the week uh i think she yeah. was a contestant on one of those like a, pre- a presenter or something um and paul didn't even realize that like their paths had crossed in 1964 or something mm-hmm. like that um but yeah it's just this beautiful little snapshot of this little story and um it definitely you know it gives me feels oh good it's yeah. not just me <laughs> it's not just you it's a lovely song oh, though good. Okay. Oh, yeah. No, deep, deep feels. I mean, making me feel things like that is not the hardest thing to do. But <laughs> I, what I like about it is that, um, I mean, I love, I really like the song and I really like John's like, counter melodies a lot. I like the, I just remember being really struck by that early on, their interplay. Um, but what I really like is the, the, like, you would think in 1967, someone from the Beatles writing a song about a girl running away from home would be only on, he would only be interested in telling the story of the girl, you know, mm-hmm. like the, the, that's where the zeitgeist, the zeitgeist was with the runaway um, and her fleeing her oppressive situation and trying to be free and blah, blah, blah. But in fact, Paul is kind of more interested in well i don't know if he's more interested in the parents but he is interested in the parents and he spares them some dignity in that moment you know he he gives them the stage mm-hmm. in a way that he doesn't even give the girl the stage so that's maybe interesting but like a year or i guess right around that same time bob dylan was writing tears of rage which is another one of those like counter zeitgeist songs where the sympathy is with the uh with the kind of straights who get left behind and uh i think it's really interesting that i mean on sergeant peppers of all album this one this album that is pure zeitgeist Mm -hmm. that's maybe more zeitgeist than record you know that that's part of the that's part of the emotional fabric of it is that these these parents these baffled parents just wailing their hearts out because they've lost their kid mm-hmm. uh, or they think they have. Um, I think it, it, it deepens the, it deepens the power of it. Well, and I think Paul has always had kind of a connection to that older generation. Even if you look, even just visually, Sergeant Pepper visually is a throwback to this like Edwardian, you know, era dress, which kind of the sixties psychedelic movement in London, especially was very much a throwback to that. And totally. you look at songs like Your Mother Should Know, things like that. Like he's always giving reverence to that older generation. I think he's always seen that value. Even when he talks about, you know, sitting in the parlor at his, you know, dad's house playing piano for his aunts. And, you know, like he always kind of relishes and loves 
that older generation of of people and um yes yeah i think i like i get the sense that i guess i've gotten the sense more lately um but i think he was maybe more of a daddy's boy than is than has been fully appreciated because you're i think you're exactly right that he obviously was you know deeply invested in making music that made sense to those people like there is the sense of like he wants a song that any pub in the country you go into all the you know all the old world war one veterans would not feel weird about singing along with it mm-hmm. you know yeah that that's part of his thing as much as you know music concrete was important to him or stockhausen <laughs> influences i think that like knees up in the pub with the old folks at home like that's a big thing with him i kind of feel like a lot of the time he's trying to i don't know if he's trying to keep his dad impressed or whatever but i think he's singing to his dad and mm. there's always this this undercurrent of like see i i like i this is a good thing for me to do i am good at it i can mm. even sing a song that you and your friends like mm. um and I don't know if it was if there was it doesn't seem like there was any resentment behind it, but you know, yeah, who among us hasn't resented a father or two? Right. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Um, so my fourth one is two of us. Ooh. I mm-hmm. just I just love it. I yeah. just it just it's happy. It's like a bouncy song. I just I just really like it. Sorry, I'm I don't have beautiful descriptions like you, Jean. I just like <laughs> it. It just brings me joy. Yeah, it's on the top five. It was a it was a runner up for me too. Yes, all right. <laughs> I really it, one of the things I love about that song is it's really got that kind of feeling of something that you can tell he kind of just came up with while bouncing around somewhere with Linda, and just saw enough value in the premise and the initial start, and just the inspiration was there, and he just you could feel like he saw it through and saw that there was more to it than he's initially maybe thinking and maybe is talking about maybe him and John as well. Um, and it's, I think that is definitely. Correct. Yeah. 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 As, as one relationship is flowering, the other is wilting and he's kind of re- cross referencing both of them. Mm-hmm. Um, I've always loved that song. Well, That's really a great, a great mo- moment. It feels like it, it feels like the thing that is the subject of it too. Like it feels like they're, you know, you're on a jaunty little escapade with them. And, and that is a great feeling, that feeling of just like being on a great walk with somebody you're fascinated by and who's fascinated by you and everything goes perfectly and it's just magical. Mm -hmm. And for years, I definitely bought the thing of like, Oh, well, it's, he, he, this is a song about him and Linda and that's what, but it's a song about him and John because him and Linda, he and Linda did not have memories older than longer than the road that stretches on ahead. Mm-hmm. Linda's the road that stretches on ahead. I mean, it's not to say that it, there isn't some Linda in there and that these things are necessarily ever literal or, you know, quantifiable, but that's a fuck. That is yet one of many songs where he's like just peeking over the hedge and being like John come back come right. back to us oh. <laughs> yeah sweet and it's, I think it's you such know, a sweet boy and it's a beauty <laughs> it's also one of those things where I think he's way more autobiographical than people give him the credit for because mm. uh, mm-hmm. he always hides things in like a little story or a little situation and he's not just coming out and giving you mother you had me but I never had you 
He's making right. it more palpable right. for everybody else, but yeah, he's definitely hiding. And leaving a bit of room for interpretation. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. 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 He's a smuggler. I love seeing the transformation of it in Get Back, which is already, it's always been kind of out there audio-wise, how it started yeah. versus how it ended. But another great moment where I think they're great at filtering out ideas to get to the yeah. best. Like, as a fast rocker, it's just – it's not a great song. But right. with this more kind of laid-back acoustic approach, it's a showstopper to me. I love it. Yeah. I yep. love it. And it's uh, one of the few, like, totally perfect finished songs on that record, too. Mm-hmm. I mean, that record is so good, partly because it's so rough and unfinished, but that's a perfect, you know, that's, you couldn't improve it. Yeah. Agreed. All right, my final song, my mm. fifth, Abbey Road Medley. Because it's just fucking <laughs> amazing. Oh, yeah. oh, like, yeah. just Someone had to say it. I I just want to leave it at it's fucking amazing. Like, tell me something different. And sorry, you're wrong. It's just. Golden slumbers on. Yeah. Golden slumbers on. Yeah. Like, just how does how how does he do all these different things? And they're so bonkers and it should not work. None of it should work. And then it totally works. And you're just like, yes. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that, yeah, yes. It's, you know, without giving away too much of where our podcast will eventually head, (laughs) this is a high, high watermark for me in terms of music, period. Um, There are not many things better than this four minute piece of music um as a listener it's something that i'm constantly transfixed by i cannot turn it off until it's over i can't get out of the car until it ends um if i'm if my phone if my music is on shuffle and something from this comes on i can't listen to it out of context (laughs) it has to be those three in a row yeah um as a musician you know we played this last night for the first time with the walrus and when you hit that final moment of the end, you feel like you've climbed Mount Vesuvius. <laughs> and when you start it, you feel like you're, when you start it, you feel like you're taking your first step out onto a high wire act and God help you if you fall. Cause you're dead. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you hit it, you know, when you get to the top and you're done, you just, it's an incredible feeling. And I had it last <laughs> night. Um, it, it was a moment in the middle of, I think it was somewhere in the last verse of Golden Slumbers where I knew we were going to be all right, and it kind of choked me up a little bit. I was like, we're about to knock this out of the fucking park, aren't we? And like, <laughs> you just felt like yeah. everything was great, and you did it, and it really it took me back. It was a great feeling. Um, I've always absolutely adored this, this piece. It's so good. Yeah. It's so good. And it was also – I mean, it is – the evidence of how hard it is to make it make something like that work where it's just pieces it's unfinished pieces of songs that somehow are woven perfectly together so mm-hmm. that it is so that it feels inevitable um the two pieces of evidence of for how hard that is is that there are there are versions of it that are in a different order a slightly different order um and it i mean probably probably it's because you've heard it so many times that it can only be how it is <laughs> But like hearing it in a different order, it's the same information. It's the same components, 
but it's so wrong and such a <laughs> like such a buzzkill, such an album killer mm-hmm. that you can see why it happened. And maybe it is just arbitrary because that it works because they say it works, as John said of uh, Sgt. <laughs> Pepper's. But um, the other piece of evidence is that he's been trying to do that same shit ever since, or he did at least all through the 70s. Band on the Run mm-hmm. is, mm-hmm. you know, Band on the Run contains its own fake Golden Slumbers mel- you know, medley bit of pieces of old songs and reprises and like he has a little bag of tricks that worked so well with the Beatles and later on it's not that they don't work it's just that it's not magical in that same way well and that um, may be that like, may be a difference in, in the players too because I mean you right. the chemistry is different mm. even though the recipe is the same because um, right. he does it even as far as um, on Egypt Station uh, despite right. repeated warning, right. warning, warnings is I think three different pieces and it's very much of that same cloth. And it's cool. It's great. Like, I love that he, this is a thing that he loves to do, is make these little sweets. Like, I appreciate that. He's always doing that because that's something yeah. no one else does. And if you do, it's, oh, you're trying to do an Abbey Road medley. Like, <laughs> yeah. he created the well, and, the and And reprises, too. Like, oh, like Sergeant Pepper's Only Hearts Club. <laughs> reprise. Like, it's, those are just, I don't know. I always, I, I kind of have, within my love comes the criticism of like it doesn't like you don't always have to do that yeah <laughs> it's because it worked like it doesn't mean it's going to work again and it, and in a way you're showing your hand some, but whatever it's great who cares right <laughs> not me that's for sure yeah well i think that's a solid top five I'm yeah like. thank you thank yeah. you mm-hmm. thank you i didn't yeah. totally blow it no you did great i'm proud of you i was nervous you did great <laughs> So my top five Paul Beatles songs, Uh-oh. I've got I'll Follow the Sun, mm. Martha Bold My choice. Dear, Honey Pie, mm. Michelle, Long Tall Sally. Now, I, I think it's funny that you say Bold Choice for I'll Follow the Sun. Um, I feel like that song gets kind of a bad rap for some reason, maybe because it's kind of like it does. early syrupy Paul, but I don't think it's all that syrupy. The thing I really love about this song is I feel like it's the peak of him at early Paul, like before mm-hmm. he hits this stride at yesterday where he just goes to a new level. This is like it's early young Paul at its most sophisticated. And he wrote this even five years before they recorded it. Like this is right. a Corey men song, but the melody right. is so beautiful. And the, the way chorus is the really chorus is, astonishing. Is, it's absolutely gorgeous. Um, yeah. You know, I don't find it syrupy at all. I, it's, it's beautiful to me. Um, the yeah. way that the, the way that the track ends up just as a recording, I think is great. It's so subtle and, and artfully played. His vocal is beautiful. I love the the harmony that they hit together. Um, I think it's just the start of him changing gears into this new level of of artist. It's something totally different and new, and I adore it. Jojo just coughed. Sorry, Jojo has <laughs> a little cough. There's, I thought it was a sneezing dog. <laughs> yeah, no, that's um, yeah, that's Jojo. I agree, and I I mean I, I have a very vi- weirdly vivid memory because of the of the first time I at least noticed this song. Because I didn't, when I was a kid, I had lots of Beatles records that I, you know, my that were my parents. Um, but I, we didn't have, I guess the American version, it was on Beatles 65. Mm-hmm. 
I never so. had that that version. I never had that record. Um, and so I guess I didn't just I just didn't know the song. And I remember it was on one of the Beatles cartoons, which of course <laughs> I watched because right. it had Beatles songs in it. You know, like why, how would I not watch that? So um, and that song came on, and I remember being really struck by the acrobatic melody in the chorus. Just like wow, I remember just I was a kid, no sense of melody, like no sense of songs as a thing that were made or you know constructed written they just were songs to me mm -hmm. and then i remember really noticing that bit and being like i mean so taken with it that i went and found a way to get the song or you know hear the song which was which of course as we all know used to be difficult right to do <laughs> you know to actually go buy something or whatever but um yeah it's always it's always uh struck me as a really impressive thing and a great showcase for him. Mm -hmm. um, and I think he got he got accused of writing music that was merely a showcase for him. So, um, but he's really good at it. I mean, and it's I a showcase it's, for I agree. for melody. I mean, then that's essentially what music is. Like you're right. showcasing this beautiful melody, whether it's got a brilliant lyric behind it or it's just you know instrumental. It's about melody, and he's but when a you can sing when you can sing like that and really carry that melody. Yeah. It makes sense that you would write that your that your mind would maybe be geared toward giving yourself the most impressive like scaffolding to drape it over. Yeah, which yeah, I think sure. is what, what sure. that one is. Um, and it is, but you're right. The track is also really lovely. The guitar stuff is really nimble. The solo is really good. The um, yeah, I mean, and the the you're right. The middle bit really really good. Gorgeous. Yeah. Um, and it does get a bad rap. Not as bad as Mr. Moonlight, but it does yeah. get a bad rap. <laughs> I almost wonder if it gets that rap because they use it as, like, the video accompaniment of, like, young youthful Beatles in the anthology. That makes it a little sappy syrupy, but maybe right. I could be wrong. I don't know. I just – I think it's a great song. I'm a fan. Always have been. I'm with you. Um, one that I'm a fan of that Julia is not a fan of, though, is Martha, my dear. Yeah. And I will say this. He does these great little – period pieces, these kind of music hall throwbacks that he's so devoted to. And I, again, I think, you know, we look back at his relationship with his older family members and his father, and this is the kind of stuff Jim Max jazz band might've been doing. Um, and he's so good at it, you know, and it, it also it's about a dog and that what a beautiful way to write about a companion where it, it's, there's yeah. so much love in the lyric for it that you can't quite tell if it's for a human or a lover, or a companion like a pet. And then you hear it about a pet, and you're like, God, this is a, that's a beautiful way to sing about the love of your dog. Like, I spend it's my days the, trying to do that. It's not the lyrics I have a problem with. What is it? It's the, the song, like the, the music, the, the notes. Like, I just, there's something about, like, the notes that he uses in that song that just make me, like, it's like nails on a chalkboard to me for some reason. I don't know what it is. It just drives me crazy, and I cannot listen to it. That key. I, yeah, that key it's like it, whatever it is. I don't know. I can't. I don't have the knowledge to describe it, but it's just like I don't want to hear it. I don't like it. It's a 100% skip for me. Ugh. I'm sorry. Do you feel that way? Do you feel that way about the intro section before the singing starts? Uh, the piano no. intro is, I find it incredibly haunting and then obviously the change the song really changes gears 
for the ver it becomes very jaunty. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't. Or actually, think I guess so. the, more the chorus. But yeah, I just I I find there's a strong break between those things. I I love it, and I also feel like you can't fully love this song until you have loved a dog. Yeah, you can't, <laughs> yep. you can't fully feel it. Because it does feel like idea. loving a dog. <laughs> <laughs> it does. It's all like the goofy, fun, bouncy love of a dog. And hold up your head, you silly girl. Like, look what you've done. That that thing where you fake scold your dogs because <laughs> mm-hmm. you can say things to them that you wouldn't say to a child, a human child. <laughs> call them stupid or whatever. Like, and you don't, obviously you don't mean it, but there's some, it, it, you're addressing the language barrier just by saying those things. I, <laughs> like, he gets at that really well. Yeah. And also, once it goes to that chorus and it goes to that um. Boom, boom. You see the fucking dog frolicking, you know, like it yep. is the sound of yep. a frolicking dog. Mm-hmm. And that is, I don't know if it's hard to do. I've never really even considered trying to do it, but it works great for me. So, Julia, I'm very sorry to part company with you. No, at that it's moment. fine. It's okay. <laughs> we'll be back on the same page before long. I know that I am like, probably, I don't have much company in this it's fine i'm okay with it it's okay because <laughs> i know does, it does seem to have good I mean, people people tend to like it unlike your next pick yeah and you on that stereo gum list i think like four people picked martha my dear as their favorite song not one of them picked honey pie though mm. and i That's love right. honey pie because it's such a little mind movie you know the way it kind of like you can almost picture kind of like a an early pre talk, like a, not a talkie, but like what were the the films before when before actually like audio was in film and they would have the little title card, a silent you know? film, like a, si- <laughs> yeah. Duh, a silent film. <laughs> Jesus Christ, yeah. you're, you're very tired. I'm very today. tired. I'm sorry. Um, it's just got that whole. It's got this vibe, you know, and like, then it kind of the uh, now she's hit the brick. Like it's just so. Well I love done. that. People hate it. People hate that song. Don't get it. That is the one. I would say more than any other song. That is the one that when I have said in my life, I'm a Paul McCartney person, like that they have been like, I'm sorry, I can never take anything you say seriously again because you are defending the person who wrote and made Honey Pie. <laughs> and I'm all, and my response to that is always like, what the fuck are you talking about? Right. Like, that's part of why it's so great. Right. Like, I love it. I mean, it's, it's such a, I love it. And again, it's another little story of, you know, loving somebody whose life is taking off and I don't know if I should follow that or not. And it's, I love that, you know, and it's just one of those things that it's grown for me over the years. I think I always enjoyed it. And recent years, I find that I return to it more. And it's one of those things where if I'm just picking random Beatles songs, I want to listen to honey pie pops up all the time. I really have grown to love that song. I have no beef with honey pie. You're fine. And you know, and I, I love that he kind of you know continues this jaunty Englishness, you know, throughout his career. Whether you get to like uh, you gave me the answer, or last night I was joking with somebody yeah. about English tea off of Chaos yep. and Creation, which is the most British thing. It's so like unnecessarily twee and jaunty, and he uses the word twee in it, like nanny <laughs> yes, bakes very fairy twee, cakes. Very <laughs> it's so good. Like I love that about him that he just embraces that. Everyone. People always talk about, you know, uh, like Ray Davies is the most British of British writers. I don't, I think at well, his Well, there's core, British and there's English. That to, that's a pretty valid, big distinction. Valid, I would say that Ray is the most British, but Paul is the most English. Yeah. I can, okay, I'll get with that. 
I'll get with that. Although Paul is really secretly Irish, so mm, let's yeah. <laughs> not fool ourselves about, about how that's how this all works. Um, he's not French, though, which he's brings me to French. Michelle. Yeah. <laughs> um, I've always had this like, sweet spot for Michelle. You know, it's it's a beautiful melody. It's a mm-hmm. chord sequence that he never approaches again. It's a vibe he never approaches again. Yeah. And it's also it's something that he wrote years prior, um, yeah. which is amazing to think that, like, a guy at 18 or whatever came up with this really kind of complicated chord sequence that mm-hmm. was anathema to all the rock and roll, you know, pop that he was playing at the time. Um, mm-hmm. It's it's who thinks of this kind of stuff? You know, he's a wizard. Right. And well, he was trying to. He was trying to. I mean, he was trying to seem all French. Mm-hmm. You know, like he was just <laughs> trying to seem all cool and bohemian, yeah. the way you or I might don a beret. <laughs> Not the way he actually would, but you know, like he wrote it so that he could score with bohemian, like francophile women. Yeah, and I'm sure it worked. Mm. Yeah, probably. But that's. But it's still. It's still like, it exists in a totally different way. Po- like I can't remember when the last time there was a vogue for French things in my life. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I have I'm a, I'm a like I'm a bit of a francophile, but it only goes so far. Um, but it's just like I don't know. This is another one that people compare it to Girl on the same record, and they, you know, they always favor John's version because John's version is more I don't know. Like there, there's I mean there, it's hard to deny that the like sucking in of air on girl has an effect that is like it's really bold and it's really you know it's like it's sensual it's sexier, in a way that yeah. Yeah, yeah that that michelle is more sort of apollonian and you know constructed but it's so perfectly well constructed and i i don't know i remember always being really impressed that it's one thing to sing a line or two in french but um to do ones that rhyme is very good. Mm-hmm. You know, that's it's incredibly, it's like 10 times more difficult to do that right. if you're not a French speaker, which he isn't, so. And I remember, um, you know, when, when I was, you know, 13 or 14, first like kind of getting into Rubber Soul, I had a crush on a girl in my French class named Michelle. And I was trying to learn guitar and I was like, oh, I could learn this song. I still can't yeah. play this song. <laughs> it's, no, I'm just, so that this song always kind of reminds me of that time in my life of like listening to this record uh, cd i guess uh in my bedroom as a child and just going how is how trying to impress this? a girl trying to impress a girl <laughs> failing the age-old story <laughs> failing of, fantastically of the musician but, right? trying to impress a girl it's where the, it's where the best work comes from. right but I'm, this song is just always stu- uh, stuck with me as just it's such a a different thing that again it's a moment that he touches on this thing one time and then never again, yeah. you know? It's a little, I mean, it's a little bit like, there is that little French interlude on <laughs> um, Picasso's last words mm-hmm. or on on, uh, on Band on the Run. I don't, is it fun? But that does, like that sort of weird sort of, there's something very like sepia toned and black and white and old rickety projector sounding about it. It's a, It's not just that it's French, it's a, it's a version of, the the collective kind of understanding of French in films and cartoons and like it's a pastiche really like 
intentionally. It's not, you know, he's right. trying to evoke a thing that is that has already been evoked. It's not mm -hmm. that he's trying to make, I don't know, a legitimately French thing because obviously he never did anything that sounded very much like, I don't know, Serge Gainsbourg or whatever. Um, <laughs> but it's that like his his interest in like putting flesh on these old bones of these old genres um, is, a, I think, a really cool, that's a really cool trait of his. I've always liked the song too. Yeah, agreed. And then, what do you think that? Sorry to interrupt, but no. what do you think it is? What do you think the likely uh, split is among people named Michelle of whether they love that song or hate it? Ooh. And in like in your life, anecdotally, I would say I've met. It's probably seventy thirty in favor of loving it. Yeah, yeah. I think most of, and I haven't met a ton of Michelles, but I think most of them would probably say they like it. I mean, and it, at least it's a more joyful song than Julia. Like, jeez. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you kind of got the uh, kind of get the fuzzy end of the lollipop yeah. on that one. People are like, you should learn to play Julia and play it for your wife. I'm like, uh, uh, probably not. You're good. <laughs> I don't need you. I don't need you to okay. do that. <laughs> um, and then oh, take... you are a bit of an ocean child. Though. You are. <laughs> uh, I'm an Aquarius. <laughs> Does that track? <laughs> Uh, and then bringing it home, I've got Long Tall Sally. Like we touched on earlier, when he does that rock and roll thing, it's hard to touch. And uh, and that one just has that kind of speedy, energetic, youthful uh, feel where it's hard to touch Little Richard in any capacity as a as a peer. But my God, yeah, like even the the record version and live versions, he's just on another level when he does this kind of thing. And I've always, always loved it. And the fact that it's just like something that they can toss off as a B-side, but also be like, we can also end our show with this because it's a showstopper, right. but it's a B-side on an EP. Like, it's unbelievable. It is one of those ones where you're like, I mean, if, you, if you've ever been in the room when somebody like trots out one of those kind of performances where you're like, oh my God, like, how do you, how is a person doing it? Yeah. It's so fucking high and mm -hmm. loud and yet he has he gets there and has total control but also it's really ragged sounding and amazing yeah that's hard. it is the hardest thing i think like do. this is one with with the walrus it's come up in conversation and i'm just i i can't do that i can't do what gets yeah. what needs to be done for that to be done correctly i don't have that ability i didn't have it at 25 and i certainly don't have it at 40 so <laughs> let's just leave that on the record for everyone else yeah. to enjoy but you got any thoughts on Long Tall yeah, Sally? The... Oh, you're good. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really hungry. <laughs> yeah. Well, we've still got a ways to go. <laughs> I know, I'm so hungry. <laughs> um, yeah. All right, so let's think. About, let's talk about post Beatles then. Uh, All right. Sean, you want to give us your, your five post Beatles Paul tunes? Yeah. It's, uh, you know, he's much maligned. I, I mean, one of my first one is pretty obvious. It's Jet. Yeah. Because it's yeah. the perfect song. Uh, Dear Boy <laughs> mm -hmm. from Ram. Arrow Through Me, which I know has become a very uh, popular pick. But um, I will say that I, I performed it live uh, as early as 1999. So, boy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the Pound is Sinking. Um, and then I'm going to pick, um, well, I'm going to pick That Day is Done. But I could but. My alternate is stranglehold, so I'm gonna. I'm gonna actually. I'm gonna let the. I'm gonna let the um, 
the tie go to Stranglehold because okay. I want to talk about his his uh, wall, his wilderness times. And I love this because you're going into 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 territory that I'm not super versed on. So, yes, well, that's part of the thrill of being a jerk who is super into <laughs> pretending he knows more than other people. But no, that's not what I'm doing. Uh, but there is that sense of like, I I mean, there are songs of his that I know are not good like they're not obviously they're not terrible but they're they're just they don't compete with his greatest works but they still are him and they're sort of him in his wilderness time so that you hear the elements of his work that you respond to just it, divorced from the sounds that you approve of and that like he's really in a weird place in, 19, in the mid 80s mm -hmm. and uh and i think that despite a bunch of issues stranglehold is a very uh it's a compelling song to me and, and i'm only doing it out of to, to be a contrarian of course <laughs> well let, let's start let's start in the in the wilderness then you know like what draws you to something like that with him well what what drew me to it initially was that i never like as a kid i just didn't get the um i didn't really get the the memo that i wasn't supposed to like paul mccartney until I guess I was a little too old to have any choice in the matter, but like Strang uh, uh, Press to Play came out in 1986 when I was a freshman in high school and I bought it the day it came out on cassette mm -hmm. um, because I was like, <laughs> I mean, it really was my response to that was like, hey, everybody, there's a new Paul McCartney album. Like, uh, <laughs> let's go. We gotta hurry. We sold out. And of course, Nobody gave a shit, and nobody even liked it who did give a shit. It was, it's his most reviled album. I would argue it is not his worst album. Although I did, there was a great um, publication I got during the pandemic. God damn, do I, I thought I had it up here. Um, which was like alternative liner notes and, and an appreciation of Press to Play. Um, and it had, you know, amazing amazing cover art and it was well written and it was really you know sort of thoughtfully done and um i did feel slightly uh slightly vindicated by that nice. <laughs> um but it's still like nobody nobody rates that record and there are good reasons not to it's a big mess but um but it has a lot going for it as well um because he's lost in the world of technology as we discussed uh and trying to find a way to make his thing make sense in that time. And he's working with, at that time, one of the biggest producers there was, Hugh Padgham, who had just come off this amazing run with Peter Gabriel and Phil Collins and the police. Um, I mean, didn't I think he produced Synchronicity by the police, which mm. was like in many ways, the definitive 80s record, mm -hmm. definitive in the sense of everything I dislike about <laughs> that time. I don't hate the police at all, but I, I don't like, I also think that they're like the sound of their work just doesn't, you, you don't hear the world in it anymore. Yeah. Like there's no, it doesn't correspond to life now in any way. Sure. Um, sure. But so like, he's trying to make himself make sense in that life and it just doesn't, it, he is lost in it. And again, anything that makes Paul into a um, into an underdog is inherently interesting to me. Um, and but Stranglehold also gets the score because 
it's a it's a crazy hodgepodge of elements. Um, it has that thing where the verses are really like kind of edgy and spooky and tense. And then it opens up into this big, like rollicking rock and rolly kind of chorus. Um, but it also has, it also has one of my favorite of his uh, John Lennon re uh, references in it. it the, the um, you know, the story of, uh, when they were in India and John wanted to go up in the helicopter with Maharishi. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and afterwards they were like, why were you so keen to go up there? And John said, I, I thought he might slip me the answer. <laughs> Paul puts that line in the verse of the song. Um, can I get you to give me a minute of your time? Can I get you to slip me the answer? Oh, um, cool. And it's it, it, like, it's maybe the only sign on that whole record that he still even remembers the Beatles. Like there's no, there's nothing <laughs> Beatlesque on the whole rest of the album. Mm -hmm. um, but that's another, that's an, to me an example of him. Like you hear is you hear the essence of him kind of poking up through the big mess. Um, and I think it's still a very effective song, even though to listen to it now, you'd be like, somebody thought this was a commercial gesture. It's so weird. <laughs> <laughs> Not so weird as to be avant-garde, just weird. You know, and those are sometimes, strange, yeah, and sometimes those are the some of the more fun, enjoyable tracks in hindsight, like the ones that seem the most out there. It's kind of to bring it back to a, another common point for us. It's like head, like who thought this mm -hmm. was a good idea commercially? Yeah, I love it for what it is, and I enjoy the hell out of it. But who thought this was gonna work? <laughs> you know? Like, yeah. At least, though, with Head, that you have the sense that there is an element of the suicide note about it. You know, yeah. like there is that that sort of you know, he, they're trying to actually respond to the cool world that rejected them. Mm -hmm. And the, the cool world couldn't even hear it. And yeah. they could like, the cool world would never know that it happened. And if they had known, they wouldn't have been able to respond to it because they would have been totally flummoxed by the existence of it. Because mm -hmm. it's, to me, it's the most far out gesture of that entire really of that entire decade, <laughs> but we can get into that. Right. That's a whole other, whole other um, podcast. <laughs> and I would love to, but yeah, but like stranglehold is a different thing where it's like, all right, everybody, here comes my new, you know, here's a hit for you. And you're just, you're like the dog on the RCA logo. <laughs> just huh? like, lo like looking at it with your head slightly <laughs> a tilt and what you did what? <laughs> um, but it's still really like, I don't know. It's just one of those ones that, inexplicably it just that song gets stuck in my head sometimes and i have to listen to it yeah um can't i mean i'm saying i'm putting it in my top five though i all would also say i can't defend it you know i'm not right. saying it's good <laughs> but it is also kind of great right <laughs> uh and then I, I guess kind of backtracking from there pound is sinking doesn't get a ton of attention that's another one that i feel like is kind of under the radar definitely i mean it was it's a another weirdo but it's it's really cool you know it's it, it's it's one of those ones where his kind of character study mode takes over and he's singing in character and he is sort of he's also playing in character like again with the edwardian like there's an element of that song that's very um like the Mr. Banks at work scenes in Mary Poppins or something, <laughs> right. you know, like the, the, or that, just that kind of, yeah, that 
that like um, the man in the white suit or that, you know, that that sort of the the Great Britain of, you know, industry and and responsibility and everything. But then he finds this kind of weird human element in it. And it, it's it's a strange song. It's clearly not uh, it's not it doesn't take the shape of any other song, but it, it's he's in this mode of like trying to be ambitious and trying to make something sort of stately and again, Beatlesque, the kind of song that might have been on Sgt. Pepper's. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it also has some really fun language in it, I think. Like, well, I fear, my dear, that it's eminently clear that you can't see the trees for the forest. Your father yeah. was an extraordinary man, but you don't seem to have inherited many of his mannerisms. Like, <laughs> it's such a it's such a silly thing but it's it also, also it's very evocative it's great i think it's great writing you know yeah. and it, it's it's um a great you know pop lyric songwriting um and uh <laughs> and then it just shifts gears into as he often does just a totally other song just gets stapled to the end of it um and it works works fine i'm i'm all for it yeah it's like sometimes he you know he finds the weirdest inspiration in the weirdest places and just figures out a way to make it something that is new and different and, and fun and enjoyable and offbeat and weird. It's yeah. It's yeah. Paul. That's what he does. <laughs> and I just, I, I mean, I throw that one out there just because I never hear anyone mention it. I'm sort of doing the, the reverse. I'm, I'm doing the reciprocal thing that you did with mm-hmm. the top right. five Beatles ones. These are, some of them anyway, lesser known Paul gems, not mm. the deepest of cuts, but a, uh, but pretty good. Yeah. And I'm glad you're, as we I keep going back through your list here, uh, arrow through me is one that yeah. I think for the last three weeks, the two of us have been walking around our house just going. Yep. Just that horn yep. lick is absurd. And I love it's killer. It's so good. And it sounds like it, it sounds sort of like the horns on like the Mellotron horns, uh, but it also sounds a bit like the horns on um, Savoy Truffle. Where yes. It's just ever so slightly overdriven. Mm-hmm. And 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 that gives it a sense of like, I don't know, maybe it's just a sense of self-awareness. Also, because they come out of nowhere and they go straight back to nowhere mm-hmm. after they come in. But it's the perfect thing to come in at that moment. And the way, like, the horns are on a different uh, different count than the rest of the track. Like, the horns are in 7-8, yeah. and the track is in 4-4. Four, four. Um, and it, the thing, I, one of the things I love about that song is it feels like something the Beatles could not have done. Like, Mm-mm. for all the things that the Beatles could do, like, that kind of groove I don't think is in their forte necessarily. No, they um, didn't have the funk. Yeah, and that's a point where I think Paul is kind of realizing that there are things that he can do on his own that he doesn't that don't have to be on on that same level necessarily of like well what what would have been what would have been like if the beatles had done venus and mars a band on the run you know like this is kind of right he's just doing what he wants to do whatever the feeling strikes him and he's influenced by you know all this r&b and funk that's hidden in the late 70s and he's like well I got a guy we can kind of do something like that with. Like, let's let's try that. Let's yeah, yeah. But it's not like it's not like I mean the same right around the same time when the Stones did "Miss You" mm-hmm. to really be like 
it's like when I don't know. It's like when a, a certain cut of clothing or like there was a vogue for capri pants, I don't know, 10 years ago, 20 <laughs> years ago, and everybody started wearing them. And so it would be like Mick Jagger going out and getting himself some capri pants to do Miss You as a disco track. Right. Except that it's also great, like maybe the greatest, mm-hmm. um, certainly the greatest thing they ever did in that, like in that time zone, um, the Stones. But like it does not, it's it's a, a great that's a great illustration of when things are just fake and better than the real one, you know, or yeah. as good as the real one. No, right. no shade to disco, but like that is a legit achievement, that song. And Arrow Through Me is not that at all. It is like, yes, it's sort of vaguely in keeping with the the times, um, I guess, but uh, let's try and think of another song that feels like that song. I yeah. can't really think of any. Mm-mm. Maybe ever so vaguely like that, again, the disco end of the spectrum, but for people like like Diana Ross, like Deja Vu maybe has a very vaguely re- like similar vibe in some ways, but not really. Arrow Through Me is, Arrow Through Me is really unusual sounding. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And in the context of Wings, but also in the context of Back to the Egg, the album, it 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 really does make you feel like, wow, this guy just he never really runs out of ideas. Yeah, you know, he's mm-hmm. real. He is still absolutely committed to trying something, mm-hmm. and um and that's really good. Yeah. Also, a great lyric. I, like, this is one where with song lyrics, it is often the case that one is both terrible and great at the same exact moment. <laughs> and I would say you couldn't, ooh, baby, you couldn't have found a more down hero if you started, if you had started at nothing and counted to zero. That is both great, great and totally stupid, but it's so good, <laughs> but it's so bad. Right. But it's so good. And therefore, Ty goes to the good. <laughs> I also have this song on my list and I really would like to know if this song caused anyone to just like immediately be pregnant. Like <laughs> it is <laughs> like a Tracy Morganism. Yes. Somebody gonna get pregnant. Yes. And I'm just like, yeah, this is a jam. Yeah. <laughs> it's I love it. It's so it gives good. you it gives you sex vibes. Yeah, it does. Totally. Oh, yeah. 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 You're yeah, not getting sexy vibes I mean, off of it, no. No, I th- I mean sexy, yeah. yeah. But you know, my my standards for that are <laughs> totally irrelevant. <laughs> Who cares? Here's what I find. That's sexy. another podcast like, episode we should talk about. <laughs> yes. Ranking the sexiest Bob McCartney songs. <laughs> I mean, it has that. Like, that's what you want this idiom of music to do. Like, it's a sexy idiom, mm-hmm. and I just don't. You know, like. I just always assume that after 1960, oh, let's say nine, Paul is not capable of sort of credibly being a sexy guy. Whereas during the Beatles time, you know, you look at him in the video footage of them making like Lady Madonna, for example, or really almost any film footage of the Beatles. Paul, you look at Paul and he looks like, he just looks so cool and so good and like so mm-hmm. in in place with those guys and you can imagine why he was the most desirable person on the planet for several years to a lot of people but in the 70s immediately he never had good hair ever again <laughs> and, he, like, and his clothes were not great uh 
he did maintain the Fair Isle sweater thing, which I'm yeah. a big fan. Kudos on mm-hmm. that. Um, but like, you know, he lost that whatever that pixie dust is that makes somebody who is, you know, like an attractive bloke become the hottest man, you know, whatever. Yeah. And at least yeah. in my in my perspective. Um, but it that only undermines anything when he's trying to be like when he's trying to be sort of sexy and he doesn't really go for that mode very much but he does Mm on arrow through me which is very Mm -hmm. interesting yeah i wonder if part of that is because he was sort of turned into like the heel like the hugely yeah and so he like probably didn't feel very sexy so he's like well i'll just be the goofy schmaltzy guy and that's what you're gonna get from me deal with it (laughs) and also also his wife was standing right there so he's hardly gonna be making all sex faces yeah but i think you're totally right he was the he was the the heel he was the goat yeah and that idea was so pervasive it didn't stop him from having massive hit records and being a you know like Every show he played after a certain point was like he never an empty seat at a Paul McCartney show mm-hmm. ever again. That's there's enough people in the world that that can still be true and he can be perceived as I mean, what world is it when Paul McCartney is perceived as the weak link in the Beatles, mm-hmm. you know? Right. And yet that's the seventies. Yeah. yeah. And that's how power that's how powerful John's magnetism was. Yeah. And, yeah. the, you know, the, they, their bond is, uh, you know, obviously intense, but their competition is intense. I mean, their competition is so intense that Paul has now lived twice as long as John. Yeah. Oh, goodness. That's yeah. how competitive he still <laughs> is. <laughs> I will outlive you one way or another, you son of a bitch. That's right. I'll outlive oh you. God. I'll bury you. <laughs> He'll probably be the last one standing. Yeah, I, I mean, th- it seems like it. Yeah, but I mean, Ringo's still there would running be a around. Poetry, there would be a poetry to Ringo doing it. Yeah, too. agreed. Either way. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Dear Boy, another great Dear choice. Boy. Another great choice. Mm-hmm. Haunting song. Well, yeah. And also, I mean, I love, I love Ram. Ram has had its, you know, sort of, it's, it has uh, gained its audience. It's been appreciated in the last 10 years. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas for many years, it was the instant, the like the go-to punchline for like why Paul isn't as good as John or why Paul has lost it since the Beatles. It got, I mean, have you, you ever go back and read the reviews oh, of this they're, album? They're horrifying. Brutal. Mm-hmm. Like it really does seem like they, that Paul had personally offended the world of rock critics. killed a lot of journalist dogs apparently in 1970. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like they're awful to him. It's, it's just so it's so weird because it isn't. Well, whatever. We don't need to get into legislating <laughs> Ram, but like, <laughs> granted, it's not it's not as good as Revolver, but neither is Sometime in New York City, and that's all I'll say on the matter. But, um, but dear boy, I pick. I mean, I could have picked. There are probably five songs on Ram that I could have picked. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is the one that I never hear anybody sort of taking up for. And like everybody knows too many people, great song. And there's the supposed dig at John and Yoko, but also the greatest, surely the greatest guitar solo he ever played. Mm-hmm. And maybe the greatest guitar solo ever. Um, <laughs> as a non-guitar player, I feel confident saying that. Well, but um, 
certainly one of my favorites. Um, and Uncle Albert, Admiral Halsey, um, also great. Also vilified, but I would say indisputably great. Um, blah, blah, blah. But the um, Dear Boy is an incredibly complex song that sounds kind of simple. It's one of the rare ones. And I guess You Won't See Me is also also on my list, also one of these, where he's like breathing fire on someone, mm -hmm. where he's like, don't fuck with don't fuck with me bert like don't uh <laughs> don't try to like y you've picked the wrong enemy when mm. you've made me your enemy um and uh and it's cold-blooded but it's yeah. also it's so elegant at the same time and all the crazy background vocal work and the you know the the sort of the sort of like snake eating its own tail construction of it where one line really pours into the next and it starts out. I, I just, I don't know. I think it's really, really fantastic. And also like easily could have been on the white album and been yeah. totally, you know, to fit in perfectly. Yeah. It, and it's interesting because I feel like also what else is on that track aside from piano? I'm trying to think in my head what's on that song instrumentally. There's piano bass um and just a shit ton of vocals and tons of vocals yeah. and some percussion i don't know yeah i don't know yeah. if it's a full drum kit or not it never opens up yeah it's just kind of like kick and hi-hat type thing and like he's just yeah. a, it feels like he's kind of experimenting in a kind of brian wilson world of like i don't need just you know snare on two and four you know, like, right. let's try these kind of off-kilter weird beats, you know, weird grooves behind things, and just build things from from almost nothing, um, which yeah. is a really interesting place from a guy who can play every instrument and has and has built these little symphonies himself to just kind of deconstruct everything and do something totally different and out there. And and the, the way the backing vocals it's not just harmonies they're counter melodies and also it sort of becomes like a round mm -hmm. at some like mm -hmm. almost uh, the i hope you never hope you never know hope you never like and the way the lines just wrap around each other it's really it's really ambitious and it's also kind of like blinkered like what are you doing what, what why why would you have this idea but the answer is because this is the idea that yeah. like, and what a weird thing that I made. And it's also a real like gob of spit at a, one of his few, uh, you know, rivals for, for certainly for Linda's attention. Mm -hmm. um, and it's, it's only, uh, it's only made more sort of complex by the fact that that guy killed himself later. Yeah. You know, it's, um, this is her ex-husband. Uh, that's right? how fucking powerful. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, Yikes. <laughs> Yikes. Yeah. No, I mean, I, you know, one of the things I was thinking the other day, you know, especially the McCartney Ram wildlife trajectory, um, it's really three very distinct reinventions over three albums. Um, that is so fascinating for a guy who's had at that point, so many highs and so many parts of his career to just consistently be turning a new page and finding new things of himself and exploring all these new avenues that he can go down uh, in this kind of new world he's found himself in. 
And they're all so interesting and fearless in different ways that I think are the other three maybe didn't go into the future with as much. I hesitate to use the word again, but fearlessness of just like, I'm going to try anything and everything because I can. Um, and maybe because I think, they yeah. weren't able to do that. I think that's interesting because obviously George had a big stockpile of mm -hmm. songs. And so when it came time for him to go solo, it was like, here you go. Let's, and, and his big idea was let's just put all of them on there, you know, yeah. and, and it's a great record and there's no, you know, no points are to be taken off of uh, all things must pass. That's it's, it's great. John obviously went in a different direction, but very much like he, he may not have had most of those things ready to go, but they all like, there was some familiar material, but it was like, this is me right now talking about me right now. And like, whatever I say is by definition art and because I did it, it is by definition genius. And, you know, and for those two records, uh, Plastic Ono Band and Imagine, he's probably basically right. You know, like yeah. there's, there, there may be this or that little thing that you would, you know, change, but it's, you know, they're great. They're perfect in their way. For sure. Um, and, and there's also the only really great things he ever did as a solo artist, I think. Only yeah. two great albums, let's say. The Peaks, so, yeah. And then also Ringo, is doing better than all of them at mm -hmm. that point. Yeah. Out of nowhere, everything he does is just like the world loves Ringo because yeah. what is not to love? Who doesn't love Ringo? Meanwhile, poor, poor Paul is going from like, he's been totally abandoned. Those three guys are all really hostile towards him. The world thinks he's, a, you know, thinks he broke up the Beatles and also that he was never even really in the Beatles. Technically, like, it's so, it's so crazy the opprobrium that he got slapped with yeah just because he just because and time again vindicated him but like in those three records you were talking about he really is he's absolutely in the wilderness he has yeah. absolutely been yeah. abandoned and all he has is his like native melodic strengths mm -hmm. and the first album is so unfinished it's like it's like he was out in on his farm like just picking up sticks and bundling them into his arms <laughs> and like carrying them into the mud hut and being like, here's my album. I hope it's good. I don't know. Meanwhile, you know, half of it is great. Yeah. And the other half is like just unfinished bits. Yeah. But, um, but then Ram is this totally ambitious studio confection that's still pretty idiosyncratic. And it did fine, probably commercially. It was certainly chart worthy, but it just got savaged by the world. Mm hmm. And uh, and wildlife is sort of weirdly in between, you know, try the the reinvention of like pretending that he could ever have just a band is yeah. such folly, but he did want to give it a shot. Yeah. And then you get to Jet, where you know, it kind of is a band. I mean, because it's at that point, it's just him and Linda and Denny Lane, and Denny's a big right. part of what they do, and uh, he yeah. and Linda's vocal blend, especially, is a big part of of the Wings era. Um, undoubtedly, but Paul's also like returned back to his Ultron form of like, I am a God again and I am making brilliant art, you know? Yep. And I, I, it was interesting. I think you called jet a perfect song. Yeah, I would say so. Yeah. I mean, it's not as, you know, emotionally resonant, right, as some, right. <laughs> but like, 
it's rock and roll and it's about a dog also yep. <laughs> and it just rules like yeah i i i don't know where i got i i actually do i had i used to have a one of like an old portable record player old portable turntable that was just so heavy and it just felt like the needle was made out of iron or whatever <laughs> and, and it was you know there were no no tubes within 100 miles of it it was just this really dense wire thing it was such an odd machine but it had the detachable speakers on top and it, you know it just it felt like you were sending a telegraph rather than like listening to a phonograph <laughs> right. and so and so but i got i also had the um seven inch the original seven inch of jet mm -hmm. um with i think let me roll it is the b-side i think Ooh. that's right but the apple you know release and i played it on that thing and it was obviously had been only mastered for well you know with old turntables and radios in mind and it just sounded like it sounded like it had been just carved out of the earth it was so elemental and pleasing and just rocking it was yeah. really good rocking in a way that unlike a lot of the other guys stuff it did become a big influence in the 70s like it did that is a gateway drug for power pop and it is a gateway drug for like your you know, like you're, it's basically that and Junior's Farm are proof of concept for Steve Miller's entire career. And I'm not <laughs> saying that's a good thing to be, but right. a bad thing to be, but like that strain of what would become classic rock is, is the nucleus is all contained in Paul's, uh, in, uh, in Jet. Yeah, that it really is. It And it's, it's rock in a way that he doesn't do often and maybe didn't do I, I wouldn't put many of the Beatles rockers in that same kind of bag. And he really didn't do much yeah. after that was kind of, I mean, there's a couple things here and there, but like that is kind of the peak of that for him, of that big dumb stadium rock for lack of a better phrase, but it's just yeah. so fucking good. <laughs> like, I just love it's it. It's so good. Like if and I saw him live minutes. and he didn't play jet, I'd be super bummed about that. That'd be one that I'd yeah. be like, why didn't you goddamn play jet? Sorry, excuse me. You forgot to play Jet, <laughs> um, Paul. Before you go, I think you're fine. <laughs> sir, sir, you're gonna have to leave the stadium. Uh, I'm just waiting for him to come out and play Jet. <laughs> Encore four. We need Jet. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, I am with you though. I absolutely yeah, I adore can, that. I, I, yeah. It's um. There is something that, like, I'll admit, it is shallow, but it isn't hollow. Like, it's still the form is so perfectly executed that the substance of it is in the perfection of the form. Like there's yeah. some, there's some kind of weird self. Oh, it's, it's the, uh, it's Helter Skelter. It's singularity. And, yeah. It's, it, well, it's the same thing about Helter Skelter and Long Tall Sally. It doesn't matter yeah. because the rock and roll thing is so strong and the, it, the feeling that it gives you that it evokes is all that matters. Yeah. You just want to like also devil has... horns in the air and rock, you know, like it's great. But in the same way that the best bit of uh, She Loves You is when they go, woo, mm -hmm. the best part of Jet, the best line in Jet is, woo, woo, <laughs> Yep. Because yep. that's your, that's in there, your head forever. Mm -hmm. And yes, it's it's not that it's dumb. It's that it like intelligence is not the question at that point, you know? Yes. Like abandon is the question at that point. Mm -hmm. And, yes. you know. It's so fun Ooh, to sing I, what, along to. You scream jet and then you get a bunch of yeah. woos. And, like <laughs> how much fun is that? Yeah. It's totally great. And yes. it's 
and it's like good clean fun it's like good <laughs> clean living you're not like there's nothing subversive about it there's nothing per se interesting about it it's just a perfect thing perfect and good aren't the same thing but like there is something to be said for like the ideal execution of a form mm -hmm. yeah for sure I would say that that's what jet is i love it that's a fantastic top five julia yeah. what you got uh, my top five. Um, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of um, really fun to sing along to yeah. in here for yeah. me. Um, we've already done Arrow Through Me. We've touched on it. People got pregnant. It's fine. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, the next one is my little secret. My favorite song to sing in the shower. <laughs> Go for it. Backseat of my car. Yeah. It's just so fun and. In the same way that, like, uh, I guess a, a little bit Jet, like, a little bit the Abbey Road medley, it's, like, different sections of the song or different movements. And, like, it's just – it's all over the place, and it's wonderful and fun and just such a joy to sing along to that um, – yeah, just I love that song. It's yeah. one of my favorites. And I think – didn't we do – who do we do – drive my car with was it you mm -hmm. that was me that's what i thought yeah. and i was like this is my second favorite paul drive my car is my second favorite song by paul about cars my first favorite song by paul about cars um <laughs> so yeah just love to sing along to it total joy so fun um love it uh same with my third song call me back again like and it's got that yeah. like visceral sort of guttural vocal that you guys have talked about so much of mm. just like it's coming just from the pit of his stomach and it's just like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> it's so good. Um, That's another top of the range one. That mm. is hard to sing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, let's really be clear. Good. When I say that I enjoy singing these in the shower, I'm not talking about doing it well. <laughs> I'm in the shower by myself. No, I mean, the dogs can probably hear me, but they don't care. For They're, the audience of one. <laughs> yes, right. it's like, it's strictly for me. No one can hear me, and I could just belt them out, and there's no judgment. It's wonderful. <laughs> well, yeah, and, and, and both of those songs, there are moments where he's so absurdly good vocally with the things he can do. When he hits those high range notes, like at the end of Backseat of My Car, he just says that, wow, mm -hmm. like, that's, that's a yeah. godlike moment there. Mm -hmm. And then he kind of sustains those same things throughout Call Me Back Again, mm -hmm. which, you know, that's him doing a New Orleans piano R&B song as good as any New Orleans piano R&B song has ever been done. I mean, he that vocal is up there with, you know, some of the best things you've ever heard. Yeah. And, uh, Again, he's just flexing his ability to be a chameleon and do all these different things that mere mortals just can't do. Yeah. You know, yeah. like Ugh. as much as I may think I sang Call Me Back Again really well last night, I probably didn't enter the same ballpark that he's in <laughs> because it's just he's that level. It's so, tr so tricky singing that. Uh, same with Helter Skelter. Like you have to save something. Yeah. But to get like to get through it, you have to save something for the end. But. To even begin it, you have to summon every little shred you have. Mm -hmm. So the idea that he could do that and then do something else mm -hmm. is yeah. remarkable. It's like on you know, wing, wings, across, wings of America, for example, that version. Like he then goes and sings like Bluebird or something. <laughs> how, how is it possible? I don't know. Yeah. yeah. Um, 
but yeah. And it's also a weird one because the arrangement is super strange on Call Me Back Again. The offbeat horns. There's offbeat horns. Uh, he, it's, you know, the, the verse chorus, you know, kind of patterns are never identical. Um, you've really got to pay attention to where that song goes. Because uh, it's not just like a simple like twelve bar blue thing. You know, he really no. is. He's smart about things, and he does things that are so different and weird. Um, it's you know everything that seems easy with Paul is just smoke and mirrors. It's incredibly complicated. Yeah. You know, it's easy for him. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's not easy. Yeah. The pre-chorus, the pre-chorus is my favorite bit. That descending line. No, no, no. Mm-hmm. I mean, the the one thing I would say about it that is not like he and is a it's a problem with him from time to time. Like he kind of runs out of words, you know. Yeah. Like the yeah. verses and the verses are all basically the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I, and he he just sort of resorts to scat singing them, you know, <laughs> after to to try and break it up. But within that, it, it's there again. It's not like it's only about one thing. It's only about you know like. John Lennon, like, stop avoiding our friendship. Stop <laughs> pretending we're not friends. Right. I love you. You, ha- I know you love me. Yeah. <laughs> Fucking call me back again. You know? <laughs> and that's that's the subject. So if he just says the same thing again and again, it's almost like he's leaving room for John's lyrics that John couldn't be bothered to come down to New Orleans and write for him. Mm. So, yeah. Yeah. Too bad. That's a thought that I've had a lot is how different that record would have been you know would it have been a wings album with john would it have turned into something completely different i mean i have no idea but alternate reality conversation for a whole nother time yeah yeah sad what else you got baby my next one 1985 yeah brilliant just it's it's just good man it's just good (laughs) have you ever seen the um the video of him doing that, I, for, I forget what special it's from, um, but it's it's awkwardly him like with a handheld mic, like singing <gasps> next to a piano and like also smoking a joint in between <laughs> verses. Uh, it's very strange. It's very like low. No. You can find it on YouTube um, pretty easily. It's like a, it's just like a video that they made, they shot for it for just, you know, kind of like a performance clip to center on top of the pops type thing. Oh, okay. Um, huh. It's very like low quality camera work. Um, he looks kind of sweaty. Uh, it's very strange. Clammy. It's 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 weird, but it, it kind of just fits this weird vibe of the song. And at the end, he just kind of goes off into like the yeah 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 scat thing. Um, it's it's weird, but it's such a cool tune, you know. I love song. And it's one that I think also yeah people tend to not you know throw enough praise on. That's a great song. Yeah, yeah, I love it. The piano, the piano intro to it in particular is just. It's another great example. Like his piano intros have this like mystique and this, like there's something like sort of scary about it or or mm-hmm. creepy. So, like there's some yeah. sort of there's some ominous vibe in them. And I would say the same thing. Not Martha, my dear, is not ominous, but it has this sort of richness in the piano intro that is jettisoned for the song itself mm. i would say the same thing about 1985 like mm-hmm. that intro it sounds like you're about to like open the door to the haunted place you know <laughs> <the> haunted <laughs> mansion, which was, like it's it's spooky and it's like 
It's full of mystery. And then the song opens up into this weird, great shuffle. And like, and you're suddenly in, you're transported to a totally different, but just as good yeah. place. Yeah. It's very, but then I the piano intro comes that. back and it's, so good. And it's so good. I really I love you know the end too, especially as you kind of get this kind of slow burn buildup of you know the vocal gets more intense and the band gets a little bit hotter and then the horns kind of start coming in and it builds up to this great dong 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 bong like yeah. what a great ending and then he just like for no apparent band reason other than just for fun sticks band in the run back band on the run back in there <laughs> like it's I love it's that. trying to smoke that uh, Sergeant Pepper's weed again. Yep. That's it. Like <laughs> it, it's it's uh, it bothers me that he does it. And yet it totally works right there. It's totally fine. But it's almost like if he doesn't do that and he just ends on that big bang, mm-hmm. it's almost like a weaker version of a day in the life's final note. Mm. Where like you give this big chord ending and that's kind of a thing he's already done too. So like mm-hmm. it's gotta do almost something but then if the same thing that you do is something you've already done before it uh, yeah i don't know it's right i love it yeah. i think it's great well he i mean he wanted band on the run to be a sort of you know his big mm-hmm. moment which in fact of course it was yeah um and and i think that was part of his way of doing like stacking the deck by making it recall sergeant peppers because of course you know by whatever 70 two, three, one, wait, wait, when was that? 74? 74, I think. 73, 74? 73. Um, <clears throat> the world was ready for something that sounded like the Beatles, probably. Yeah. Um, and who yeah. better to do it? Because <laughs> George and John couldn't have sounded less like the Beatles by mm-hmm. that point. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, but I think he did a little, little deck stacking, a little uh, lily gilding to, <laughs> by, like, busting in those Sergeant Pepper... Um, little throwbacks. Yeah, I'll but allow it. Here, who, um, <laughs> if he can't do it, who can? Right? Yeah, it's fine. I'll allow it. <laughs> Permission granted. <laughs> Permission granted. Please carry on. Uh, my final one, and yeah, this one was hard. I like changed this fifth one like seven times. I was like, oh, there's too many choices. There's so much good, but I landed on let him in. Yeah. Just because it's such a like chill little. I don't know. I just it's got a whistle that's fun you can that like, one really, walk around the house and yep. whistle it that like creeps up on just, me a lot that's yeah. one that I, I think about a lot i really love that song it's fantastic totally underrated and i, mean, I think so yeah lyrically who knows where he came from with it, it i couldn't even begin to tell you but <laughs> it's just it's one of those ones where it's, it's all just earworms everything about it is an earworm whether it's the like that's one the verse yep. is an earworm. I mean, everything in that song is an earworm, even down to the drum pattern. I mean, even the one the one you just sang is a counter melody that is an amazing hook. And the thing it is a counter to is also an amazing hook. Yeah. It's just, it's like a rat king of hooks all just sort of gnarled together. It's like a Russian nesting doll of hooks. It's such a confection. And it is, it literally is like, he maybe just heard somebody be like, oh, um, someone's knocking at the door. Could you uh, do me a favor and let him in? <laughs> like, <laughs> something that anyone could say anytime. Oh, but then yeah. he was like, hmm, what yeah. if I set up some music? <laughs> and it was a number one hit all over the world. Yeah. And you could go into any airport in the world and hear it. Mm-hmm. You know, that sort of thing. Yeah. So good. And yeah, even just even the 
the snare drum kind of marching pattern about it is, you know, is yep. It's like he it's like he challenged himself to see how many hooks he could put into one song mm-hmm. and have play at one time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's just one of those things, and it's just a master craft of a piece. You know, and it feels very simple. Yeah. Until yep. you really think about how many things he's cramming into it, and you're like, wait, no, it's actually quite complicated and like well thought out. It's like a snowball. And... It picks up. It picks up. Yeah. complexity as it goes mm-hmm. along yeah but it's all but it's never come it is still basically a nursery rhyme in some yeah. ways yeah did you uh, a list of people he can think of right <laughs> did you get to listen to that dr john cover of this yeah i'd heard it before <laughs> it's I so think. interesting right because <laughs> it's yeah almost a it's just a spot on cover he's not jazzing it up or anything it's just his dr, yeah. john, dr. Voice. john doing it which is hilarious <laughs> to me <laughs> that's right oh my god um Good list. But yeah, this one, that one and Sea Moon both seem to get uh, kind of either forgotten or vilified. I've heard people definitely say, like, those are examples of why they don't like Paul because it's, I don't know, too much of a confection or something. But mm-hmm. I just don't, I don't, I don't understand the impulse to, to vilify him for things that everyone does. Like, there's plenty of people who do this very thing where it's sort of like, it's a, it's a throwaway. But it's also this incredibly life-affirming throwaway. It's a, yeah. it's like it's a, a pure joy. Um, but somehow, when Paul does it, it it like offends people's sensibilities. Yeah. But when anyone else does it, it's fine. It's, like, right. it's too good. I don't like it. Too <laughs> <laughs> many notes. <laughs> All right, my top five. Yeah. I'm going hardcore out of the gate. Oh my god. Going I'm... wonderful Christmas time. Yes. I will defend that song. Put it on my tombstone. That is <laughs> what that that's I think it's my favorite Christmas song. First of all, and I people hate it. They genuinely oh, they fucking hate, hate it. Hate hate it. They be murderous about. It. I love it. Like I think it's my favorite Christmas song. Um, you know, there's something about the kind of shrill I almost icy tone of the synth when it first yeah and not even like the 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 delay synth but like there's this kind of high note that plays throughout of it throughout it that just in my head movie it's like the sound of like icy night winter skies you know and like it just gives me that feeling of like that was the original title, I think. I see <laughs> yes. Flows off also my drag name. <laughs> <laughs> Writing that down. <laughs> um, <laughs> I just, I adore this song. I've always loved it. I love the simple repetitiveness of it. Um, it's goofy as hell. It's the only Beatle or McCartney song I've ever dared to record and release a cover of. Because I think it's that much fun. Um, I just, I adore this song. I will fight anyone who disagrees with me. Uh, anytime it's on in the winter time, I let it, I let it mm-hmm. play every time it was on, on satellite radio yesterday, like during their like McCartney 80 countdown in June, I was like, yes, it feels like Christmas for three minutes. Uh, <laughs> even though it's 105 <laughs> degrees, it felt like Christmas in my heart for three of them. Yeah. And I loved every second of it. So yeah. I will defend that any day of the week. I'm actually not going to take the time to defend it. I'm just going to let it play and enjoy it and just kick back and <laughs> smile and let people argue amongst themselves and just be in the joy that is wonderful I Christmas just, time. <laughs> I I mean, I've always been fine with it. Sometimes I like it. I never really, I never hate it, but like I could see where people wouldn't, you know, 
choose it, but but is it, it like why is it worse than Santa Baby? Why is right. it worse than <laughs> I saw fucking mommy kissing Santa Claus? Yeah. Why is it worse than Step into Christmas? Like even the <laughs> contemporaneous ones yeah it is not worse than any of those songs no. and it also but it has that thing that's like paul has and scant few other living humans have ever had it where everything every sound that he makes is impossibly catchy pleasing and like a perfect melody mm -hmm. uh -huh. and that those like 10 you know, those 10 notes or whatever, the na, 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 na. it sticks with you for your life yeah. when you've heard it once. So in a way, I guess it's almost like a curse. It's like a monkey's paw or something. Well, and I think, <laughs> um, you know, that's one of the great things also is like, it makes the song so flexible. So anytime you hear a cover of it, whether it's uh, an R&B cover or like a twee, you know, folksy pop thing or an instrumental, like it's just, it's always a great melody and it's it works for any genre or style it's he's so yeah. flexible in that way i love that um next one i'm gonna i'm gonna throw out there is junk that song has stuck with me Beautiful. since the first time i heard it i thought it was like the most haunting gorgeous thing i'd heard and it's it's oh. <laughs> poor as baby, haunting as that poor baby jojo has a collapsing trachea he but does. he's okay you want me to put him in his crate? No, he's okay. Sure. Okay. Um, You're the one that has to edit, not me. <laughs> <laughs> no, there's something about that song that's just, you know, it's so wistful and so evocative of that feeling of kind of loss and being discarded um, that it's just, even the instrumental version, I just adore it. It's, it's melodically adventurous and gorgeous. Um, I love the illusion of, you know, junk in a shop window of just all these kind yeah. of like discarded memories of of lives like who would see a a window filled with shit at a junk shop and think about all the little stories each one of those things would tell mm -hmm. you know like it takes yeah. a a different brain to think about that kind uh -huh. of thing it's uh i mean it is a perfect evocation of what of the thing it is evoking but it is again like one of the it's one of the great kind of demos like a demo a demonstration of his ability to do that kind of thing mm -hmm. that maybe not everybody would even want to do but a lot of people would and you're not going to do it better than this like you're not going to make a lullaby that would fit in any like spooky or sad you know children's film from 1969 or whatever like that particular kind of Ken Loach, that movie Kez, for example, or, I mean, there's a, a number of other ones where there is something just achingly sad about the song, mm -hmm. even though it is also kind of, you know, it's, it's lovely and, you know, pastoral and beautiful, but there is a sadness at the edges of it that, you know, you can really only, for me anyway, I can only tie it to him feeling like he's been left behind by the other Beatles and that the Beatles will have been left behind by history and that he is just yesterday's newspapers to quote the Rolling Stones. Um, but that like, you know, the, the idea of him identifying with just like junk yeah, is really, you know, it's really 
it's sad even if he, even if that never entered his mind once and probably it didn't but um but the other thing is that the the instrumental version of it the sing-along junk is in a way just as good mm-hmm. because the words to junk the only one i have a problem with the only line that i take any exception to in that song is sentimental jamboree right <laughs> because i think it's like shit i need something that rhymes right okay yeah, jamboree <laughs> <laughs> which doesn't, to word. me doesn't fit and it's too general but but um but i do I, i've always loved that song too yeah fantastic um uncle albert uncle albert admiral halsey always been yes. a favorite of mine even though it's a big one for him um it's again him you know just piecing together these two different things that are weird but they're they're both gloriously weird in their own way this feels like something it feels like almost he is trying to do John and Paul by himself because there's yes. elements of it that sound like John Lennon, like the, the butter wouldn't melt. So we put it in the pie. Like that voice right. is like one of John d- doing his little weird voice things. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. I've always found this to be just like such an engaging piece of music um, and like a very direct continuation of that Abbey Road medley mixed maybe with a bit of like you know my name, look up the number weirdness. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's yeah, it's kind of him like flexing his muscle of going, I can do it by myself. And kind yeah. of nailing it, you know? I always love this song. Yeah. yeah. Strangest hit song, certainly. Yeah, I for sure. It's so weird. Mm-hmm. And has he ever uh, performed this live? I don't know that he has. I don't think so. Not that I know of. Yeah. Maybe like, maybe on one of those fake impromptu wings bus you know van tours right <laughs> uh, where they played at colleges yeah but we've I mean, got paul mccartney in the van out there uh what would you say he uh maybe plug in and play a few numbers <laughs> play in the cafeteria today oh so fucking sure <laughs> i don't know i don't know if that's such a good idea sir <laughs> we have to move the uh the taco cart but yeah, we could we could fit them, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, people also hate this one, but I'm a fan. I've always loved it. Um, I don't get. I, well, I I don't see the argument against it. I never have. Yeah. It's yeah. Such a, it's a beauty. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's really good. I'm also gonna stand on the same island for silly love songs. Another one that people genuinely That's, hate. I would argue the most divisive. Uh, their biggest than, hit. I mean. Actually, Ebony and Ivory is the most yeah, divisive, yeah. but it's not even divisive. I don't know anyone who loves it. Nobody does. Um, Wings' biggest hit, Silly Love Songs. Um, yep. We played this last night, and I think that maybe got one of the best reactions of the yeah. night. It is a fucking groove. It is a blast to play. His bass part is absurdly good. Um, yeah. Again, nothing but hooks in it. Another complicated arrangement. Uh, it seems like an extremely simple song that any idiot could do, but it's actually very complicated. There's a lot of different parts you have to keep your eyes on. Um, and my God, the sent- the whole song itself is him trolling. Like, yeah, it's way too long. He repeats the, every part like four times. You could have cut it down in a number of ways, but he's just going to keep driving this catchy hook into your skull because he knows yeah. it's that goddamn good and that catchy. And I love that about it. Um, it's, yeah, I can't say enough about that song. I love that song. Yeah. It's, I mean, I get the objection to that song. And I get, I will never, I mean, the, the joke, the classic joke that I remember someone telling me about it was, and, you know, um, uh, 
you know, when did Paul McCartney write silly love songs? 1963 to present. <laughs> um, <laughs> which is the whole point of the song. And like, obviously he is, it's a big fuck you to everyone who is a Paul McCartney hater, yeah. you know, like, and it's, it is really him seizing that thing. I just am not entirely sure I am super down with what he is seizing it in the name of, because I don't, like, I do like a silly love song for sure, but I don't, I've never really fully liked silly love songs, but I get, like, I appreciate the form of it. I appreciate the gesture of it, mm -hmm. you know? I think it's, um, I think it's bold. And it's funny that it happened when it happened because it was, you know, he's all, he's often held up as an example of why there was punk. Right. But like in its tiny backwards, double reverse backflip way, it is a bit of a punk gesture <laughs> yeah. for Paul yeah. to write that song. Only in the sense that, you know, we came to understand punk later. Well, yeah, he kind of <laughs> was did... not original Sex Pistols. Punk. Right. Yeah. But I mean, he kind of did the same thing with, you know, putting When I'm 64 on Sgt. Pepper when the least, you know, current rock and roll thing you could do is put a, you know, vaudeville music hall song on your record. Um, yeah. But that's kind of him just going, I'm going to do whatever the fuck I want to do because I'm Paul right. McCartney and I'll do it. Sorry, if we met, I'm Paul McCartney. So <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and do it. Oh, hey, uh, hey I'm Paul. <laughs> we know. We know. You know. You know. Um, and to bring it home, I'm going to take us uh, into almost current day, Paul. I'm going to say dance tonight. That has been a favorite of mine since that record came out. Um, that, you know, I think once you hit the chaos and creation era, he's been on this mm -hmm. great tear since then. Um, and this song it's got such a relaxed feeling to it. You can tell this is something he just came up with while playing around with his ukulele and maybe his grandkids yeah. were dancing around his house and they were just having fun. And he just came up with something and saw it through. And it, it's never failed to put a smile on my face or to make me move in some way. And that's one of the things that I love that he has the ability to do is just make you feel happy with music like he like none other he just can make you smile and that's kind of the greatest gift that you could ever have um and this song has ended up on countless playlists and mix mixes that i've made and uh it's one that i it, it's it, and it's in his shows even now 20 years later because this song's been out for 15 or 20 years and he still plays this almost every show i think it's it's as catchy and you know fun as you could hope for for a paul mccartney song it's mm -hmm. it's a great one for me i think i love it i do too yeah, i just want to take you up on one small thing which is that and I, I do exactly the same thing which is why i'm saying you say almost current day i just want to point out that song that album is 15 years 15 ago. years yeah <laughs> yeah memory <laughs> almost full it was 2007 wow, i looked it yeah. up while Oof. you were talking because i couldn't believe it myself I do that all the time. I think of like, oh yeah, the new, the new one. But in fact, yeah. But also, and, I, and I mean, there have been at least three or four since then. Yeah, and and really, you know, I was as I was look because I wanted to pull something. I felt like I I there was I felt there was something from like latter day Paul that I really wanted to put in here. Um, but there's been songs on almost every record, like from Chaos and Creation. Like a fine line is great. Um, Fine lines, great. Riding to Vanity Fair, I think is brilliant. Yep. Um, 
driving rain i'm gonna forget about that one uh but yeah that uh, that's the one that didn't have much going yeah for it, but the album new has great stuff on it um even egypt station um the, the leadoff track i don't know is haunting and gorgeous like the first time i heard that like i was in a really like depressed mood and that brought me to tears like that song just wrecked me um, but then, of course, he hits you with, like, for you. And I'm like, oh, what are we doing? God damn it, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. But, but, yeah, you know, there's stuff that I consider, like, new Paul, current Paul, that is just fantastic. And it maybe is 15 years old. But, yeah, I'm with you on that. But, yeah. Yeah, he, I mean, he's still trying, and he still comes through with things. Yeah. And, you know, I admire... Did we talk I McCartney three? That. Have we talked about McCartney three together? I think I feel like we talked about we it did. at some point. I mean, it's like when it when it came out and I listened to it, I was like, "Wow, he's really still trying." I never once listened to it again, <laughs> but I did recognize that it had, you know, it had qualities. It had, you mm-hmm. know, like this is an album by a guy who's still reaching. He is not, you know, he is not just phoning it in. Yeah. Although maybe he did literally phone something. <laughs> well, but it's different now because phoning things in is great in the studio. Yeah. Well, I I can't think of how uh, how different our lives would be if uh, if Paul McCartney was not around and doing the things that he has done over the last eighty years of his life. But good grief, what a different world we would be good in. Good grief. Uh, I know it's inconceivable, and to, uh, like it, it really will be that thing where you know when he dies not that i not that i want to be morbid or that i'm fixated on that but like obviously it will happen it'll happen to all of us Mm -hmm. eventually but like we will have we will be able to say that we walked the earth at the same time he did and he like he has demonstrated a, a certain like unbending tenacity and a sort of a refusal to refusal to capitulate to mm-hmm. what to what the world kind of wants to be true about him until like he wouldn't rest until people knew that he was fucking so much better than he was ever given credit for and he was given more credit than almost anyone else you know <laughs> yeah. but, like he really was miraculous at his best and he still has the power to kind of summon that yeah mm-hmm. i was going to ask you what you thought his legacy would be which, I mean, what an impossible question. But I almost feel like that's the best answer is he was miraculous. He is miraculous. Like, holy shit. The things that this human can do are superhuman. They're, you know, they're beyond the capability of 99% of the world. And I don't even mean that with hyperbole. Like We I just talked about that. the 30 of his best songs and just, like, hardly <laughs> scratched the surface. Right. Like, Yeah, and I we mean... all could do – I, I, it would be no trouble for us to do – 30 more like mm. in an instant for yeah. sure yeah yeah i mean i changed answers like 30 times before right. i settled on yeah. five of each so well, that's i mean that's that was the experience i had the first time i saw him play i, I was it wasn't it, it was just before that memory almost it was 2006 i think or for, when i don't know when i can't remember when exactly because 2000 to 2020 is all just one big nightmare right. to me but um <laughs> Actually, my new my new theory is that Y two K did happen, did happen. And, that the, and that the gene like the real evil genius of it is that 
we, we like nobody knew that it happened. That's how adva- like the computers were way more advanced than we were afraid oh, of. God. <laughs> um, and so all the horrible stuff that has happened since then has been the result of the Y2K event. Anyway, um, so, but when I first oh saw God. McCartney, I was like, all right, every, you know, he plays 38, 39, he plays like almost 40 songs, three hours, nine tenths of the set list has a really legitimate claim to being the best song ever written, you know, <laughs> like not, not just one of your faves, but like he just did eight days a week or whatever. And you're like, Oh yeah, that's the best. Obviously that's the best rock and roll song <laughs> of all time. until the next one comes on. And you yeah. know, and yeah. obviously there's no such thing as the best ever, but like the sheer number of stone classic songs that are the foundation of your appreciation for both music and life and the interaction between music and life uh, is really, it's astonishing. It is in fact astonishing. And so the, like the idea that one person can have responsibility for so much of the, of the most influential sort of sounds and part of people's understanding. I don't know. Like it's, it's awe inspiring to me. And, and it, uh, it, it justifies every sort of tacky, you know, misstep or whatever, every sort of thing that isn't a total success. He still kept going, you yeah. know, mm-hmm. and he, I think he did it because he wanted, he wanted the credit for what he had done. You know, he did not want to leave his masterpieces unsigned. Yeah. Mm. Well, God, God bless Paul McCartney. Holy crap. Here's to another 80 Paul years. McCartney. Yeah. Um, yeah. I was going to ask, uh, Anything you have going on? You put a single out a few months ago. We got a little taste of oh, yeah. some new music. I did. Um, it was, I don't know even why I did that, but I did it and it was fun and it was fun. I'm glad but, you did um, it. I quite enjoyed around. it. <laughs> uh, thank you very much. I just, I made a record when I when I moved to Nashville and um, I really like the songs and I really, I think the record is pretty good, but I just, it's not done somehow. I don't know how. So sure. I've just, I've just been sort of sitting with it and trying to figure it out. But that song is on the record viral love um and i think it's you know i think it's pretty fun and good and i just wanted i don't know i had the impulse to put something out and i also i had it pressed in nashville as a seven inch single mm-hmm. oh that's why i did it because i started playing shows when i was there and then of course the pandemic happened so i stopped yeah um but um yeah it does it does exist i'm still on my you know still on my eternal like Every ten years, I <laughs> moved to finish something and put it out. And yeah. I'm taking my I'm taking my sweet time. That's good. That's no nothing wrong with that. Yes. Well, I'm glad you called and asked to do this, man. This has been a wonderful way to uh, to spend the day. I, I really appreciate you doing that. I am really happy that we got to do this because I just didn't want Paul McCartney's birthday to go by without doing some sort of meaningful like acknowledgement of it because it like we'd all get so worked up when people die people we love die. like i remember when prince and bowie died so kind of soon so hot on each other's heels there was that like that sense that oh my god we we really could have been appreciating them more mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. during the last few years of their lives and i i don't i think paul has successfully you know charted the course into being fully appreciated in his lifetime but (laughs) nonetheless like it's he really 
matters to me and I know to you guys in a like in a in an intensely personal way that is very different from all other intensely personal connections to the music we love like mm -hmm. it's because it's foundational mm -hmm. you know and because it is like it is one of the he's one of the primary colors in the you know in in music the in western music or anything like he's he's essential yeah and he and he gets the he gets the rawest the worst rap from so many people but i think that's all sort of going away so not anyway, from anyone I, here i appreciate <laughs> no exactly this is a safe place yes. <laughs> yes. we celebrate the man's entire catalog yes <laughs> well that's right when we uh, when the new season starts, you want to do another episode? We'll get you back on. Absolutely, plenty to yeah. talk about. You're heading into the top third, right? Uh, no, not yet. We're in we're top half. Yeah, we're getting to the top half. I think we're in like the what we just did like the one thirties. I think so. We're getting into some good ones. I think. Yeah. Yeah. So I'll send you. Yeah, our last one was um, one forty. One forty. So we're into the one thirties. Yeah. Okay. So we're getting there. We're working our way. So yeah, I'll send you a, I'll send you some stuff and we'll figure out one. But Sean, this has yeah. been an absolute well, pleasure, my friend. Always thank a pleasure. Thank you. Likewise. Yeah. Um, and uh, you know, let me know what uh, what you decide to do with this. If you want to, if you're going to put it up before there's a new season, it's just like a stopgap. I'm going to put it up like in an hour. Oh great! <laughs> yeah, That's like so much the better. I'm just throwing it up and we're doing it, man. Bonus I mean, you're gonna episode. Run on through it real quick. Oh no, I'm just going up. Oh come oh, on, the, the dog <laughs> coughed. Oh, this, the... is, this is a sketch of real life right now. Oh boy, yikes! <laughs> That's fantastic. Yeah, I'm 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 in favor of that. It's our uh, it's our uh, instant karma. It as, is our instant karma. As the dog coughs. As the dog again. coughs again. <laughs> um, well, thank you guys. It's very good to see you. So Likewise. good to see you too. I, I, you know, I'll be back in Nashville intermittently so it's very possible that our paths will be able to cross before too long for sure and if you guys are ever looking to come down to new orleans you always got a place to hang out and oh my gosh. we would love to see y'all again and we might fantastic. see you in seattle my sister lives there now so yeah <laughs> so and we... yeah if you guys make it back this way i would definitely love to see you for sure Amazing. for sure all right well have a good rest of your weekend and uh you too have a great show tonight thank you so much and we'll uh we'll chat later all right sounds all great all right man adios Thanks, guys. Bye, Sean. bye bye Sean Nelson, everybody. What a, pl a pleasure as always. I think that might be our longest episode. I think it might be. I'm not cutting anything. This is all. This is, you're getting everything. People are going to tap out after like an hour. <laughs> They're going to be like, I don't want to listen to these people oh, anyway. Man. We hope you've enjoyed it. We didn't really have a plan for it. So this is very free form. Uh, <laughs> but this was a whole lot of fun. God bless Paul McCartney. Happy birthday, you magnificent Happy bastard. Happy birthday, Paul. Life would be so different without you. It would not be nearly as wonderful as it can be. That's uh, fair. So I can't even... You know, like Sean was saying, I, I don't even know what I would write or uh, or put out there. So I think the best thing you can do is just celebrate the man's music. And uh, here's to many more years of it, hopefully. So, friends, we hope you've enjoyed it. Uh, we'll see you real soon with some brand new episodes. We promise if you uh, want to catch up with everything, it's all available at RankingTheBeatles.com or on any place you listen to podcasts. Be sure to follow us on Facebook at Ranking the Beatles. And on Instagram at Ranking the Beatles. <laughs> or on Twitter at Ranking Beatles. That's right. And we will see you all real, real soon. Uh, until then, I'm Jonathan. And I'm Julia. And this has been Ranking the Beatles. Adios. Bye, y'all.